get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is 7.01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker. Great to have you with us here on 101 ESPN. How are you doing, Michelle? Randy, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm going to learn something today. Yes, you are. Today's going to be a good day on Carriker and Smallman. It's going to be fantastic. We're going to talk to Eli Drinkwitz, the head coach at Mizzou, find out if they're going to play in the fall. We'll ask him outright if they're going to play We'll see if he has an answer for us. What if he broke the news here? That'd be great. Like, hey, I actually just got off a conference call, and yeah. this is this is what we've decided. And we're playing. <laughs> he could go all Scott Frost on us. Yeah. At Nebraska. We don't care what the conference says. We're playing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. Might be Division One. You know what, though? I was thinking about it. If, like, uh, Nebraska could put together a FCS schedule, that might be right along what they need to be at right now anyway. Yeah, they might look at this as, hey, this is a <laughs> this, this where, is where we're going to start to turn the tide. <laughs> this is where we need to be. <laughs> Dennis Dodd's also going to join us, and he's all over whether or not we're going to play college football in 2020. 20. But we're going to start with the fact that the Cardinals have another postponement, Michelle. They were supposed to play a doubleheader on Thursday against Detroit. So originally that date was scheduled for the Field of Dreams game against the White Sox. That was blown out. So they said, well, uh, since we aren't going to play that, let's plug in a doubleheader that we lost against Detroit. So they did that. And now yesterday it was announced that there will be no doubleheader. There will be no Cardinal baseball on Thursday. Another bummer, but also not a surprise. I think we all kind of anticipated that the games on Thursday would be slashed as well. Everything that you've been reading and hearing from the Cardinals is, hey, we're going to take a conservative approach to this. We don't want what happened in Milwaukee to happen again this time. And obviously, one of the things that they're learning is about the incubation period of this virus and how they had gotten back-to-back days of negative tests and got clearance to leave Milwaukee. And clearly, that was not enough. And they got those extra positive tests. So I'm not surprised. And I think it's smart for them to be extra conservative here because the last thing that they need is to reboot again and then have another new positive test. John Mozeliak saying, we just don't know. You know, we're trying to do the very best we can to control something you can't see. It's an invisible virus. I think the one thing that we all are understanding is, is we don't know much about it. And no matter how much you think you understand and, you know, you hear things about incubation, you hear about, you know, how long someone may or may not be contagious. These are really difficult things. And, and, no matter how many experts you engage, you're still getting a lot of different answers. And so to some level, like all decisions we make, it's almost like the goal line keeps moving. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the best answer is, because if I had confidence I did, I would just argue for it. But there's so many unknowns. And I think uh, 
you know, that statement of I just don't know is very true right now. And they just can't plan for anything because of their lack of knowledge. And I'm with you. I think we're on the same page here. They just have to wait it out until they can get to a scenario where they don't have to worry about being attacked by this from within. If it happens from outside, it is what it is. That's what happened before. But since they were in Minnesota, they've been attacked from within. And that's where it needs to stop. Yeah, you have to contain it amongst yourselves first. And then, yeah, obviously, if something else were to happen in a few weeks, once everybody was healthy on the team, you can't control that. But you want to try to control the factors that you can. But as Mo just said, it's got to be so incredibly difficult for them to try to contain and control something when there's so many unknown factors. Yeah, and... Michelle, we've been asking because of those unknown factors, questions that he can't answer, like how many games would constitute a logical, normal season and how many would be worthwhile and should you even play? And those questions all come up. But I'm to the point now where once they start playing, I'm good. I really don't care when they start playing. If they wind up playing 35 games, I'm I'm fine with that. But I, I think what I want most of all is for the guys to get healthy and just get back on the field. Yeah, my perspective has shifted as yeah. well. I think at first we were thinking uh, the number of games that the Cardinals are going to have to make up is increasing yep. and the days that they have to make them up in is rapidly decreasing. And how are they going to fit X number of games into X number of days? Now I'm just thinking, when are these guys going to get clearance to even get together for baseball activities? They haven't played baseball in weeks. They haven't played since July. They had one workout at Bush, or they had one day of workouts mm-hmm. at Bush Stadium. And you have in between then, in, the, in between the last time you've played and now, a quarantine of six days in a hotel, and now you're quarantined at home. I'm worried about these guys from a physical standpoint, if and when they start playing. So I have kind of even just erased that from my thought process. And I thought once they have enough testing to feel comfortable that this is contained and they get back to baseball activities, then you see where you are and you reassess from there. And there will be no baseball activities today. We know that. Unlikely that there would be any tomorrow. That would be Wednesday. Thursday, you're not going to be playing. But even if you could get enough people back to work out on Thursday, that's not enough time to play a game on Friday. So I I would be really surprised if the Cardinals would play this weekend. I think we'd be really optimistic to think that they could even play a game on Saturday. So you think the entire Chicago trip, White Sox and Cubs is in jeopardy? Yeah. I do as well. Like Dan McLaughlin said yesterday, just bring one of those teams here rather than risk the Cardinals getting on a plane. Right. And Chicago has pretty strict parameters in place, uh, travel restrictions because of the pandemic anyway. So why even mess with that? And and perhaps, and John Mozeliak was asked this, perhaps what the Cardinals should have done is just abide by the initial CDC guidelines of quarantining for 14 days. I mean, that's hindsight, right? I mean, like, obviously, if we had waited two more days, maybe we would have caught the test and not have regathered. And instead of, you know, three people catching it, maybe only one would have. So, of course, you know, these things matter, but we're trying to, you know, baseball's an everyday sport, and you're trying to get back on that field. And, and so decisions were made, and, and here we are. And here we are with the Cubs playing great ball. They're still 10-3 and three because they didn't play over the weekend. The Rockies have the best record in the West at six with 11-5. and five. They're, They've got a 688 winning percentage. The Dodgers are 11-6. and six. There are a lot of good teams. The Padres are playing great. Fernando Tatis Jr., they're 10-7. and seven. The Marlins are in first place. Even though they've only played 10 games, 
They are tied except ahead in the percentage points with Atlanta in the East. So the Cardinals would have had their hands full trying to compete in this league too. Not that they wouldn't have made the playoffs, but against the Cubs, against the East and the West at least, they would have had their hands full in terms of quality of record. They were going to play and we're going to have plenty of time to to break all of this down on how baseball and the Cardinals are going to move forward once they are cleared mm-hmm. to play. But do you think that there's any way that Major League Baseball just scraps the Cardinals season? I don't think they can. I, I, don't, I understand that they've gone a long time. It'll be 13, now 15 games with the Cardinals not playing. But it's hard to go, I would think, that many days with... 29 teams and with one team not playing every day it and it's not just every day it's three days off for the Cubs here three days off for the White Sox here three days off for the Reds here it's just not a doable thing because you would like Mo said it's an everyday sport and you want to have your teams playing every day yeah it's disruptive in a lot of different ways so I wonder if they just say we'll we'll do winning percentage. We need you to get in X amount of games. You know, obviously, as Mo said, the goalpost continues to move. So I wonder if Major League Baseball is adjusting their scope of how they're going to judge the Cardinals or, or what lens they'll they'll judge them. And I just I know that whatever they whatever decision they come to, if the Cardinals come back and they're successful, people are going to yell, "Hey, this isn't fair." I wonder if you do just depending on how many games they play. If if they could get in. 47. I, I, and I haven't even done the math lately. I, I have no idea how many they could possibly play. But if they can only play 40 games, maybe you have them play the season. Maybe they're like a relegated team in soccer where they play the games, but it doesn't really mean anything. They, they, they just play because they're an opponent for somebody. It's like at the end of a major golf tournament when you have an odd number of players and you have to get the club pro to come out and play with the last guy. So they'll just be blood donors? Basically, yeah. Oh, come on. Practice games. But what if they come out and they look great? I keep thinking about this too from a different angle. If the Cardinals come back and they have success, like say they come back and all of a sudden they're on fire, Mm -hmm. that's good for baseball. Because there's discussion, there's debate. People want to hate the Cardinals anyway. It's a great storyline. They're a marquee franchise. There's a lot of things that people can discuss. If the Cardinals come back and they have success and they are in the playoff hunt or in a position to be in a playoff hunt at the end of this, that's good for baseball. But if the Brewers have played 60 games and the Cardinals have played 40 Do you feel very good about putting the Cardinals in a playoff spot ahead of the Brewers just because they had a better winning percentage, even though they played a third fewer games? I don't feel great about it, but it also is outside of their control. And it seems unfair from that perspective that they should be punished for something that they can't control. And who's to say that this won't happen to another team moving forward? You mean to tell me in early September, if this happens to the Dodgers or the Yankees, that all of a sudden conversations wouldn't be different? I think because it's early and because it's the Cardinals, people don't want to try to figure out a way, at least right now. Well, remember how before the season started and at the beginning of the Miami situation, we used the old Yogi Berra line. It gets late early. Right. Well, we're a third of the way into the season. The Cardinals will have played five games and everybody else except for the Marlins will have played at least 20. It's pretty, pretty amazing. It really is. It flew by. It did. You know, it it simultaneously flew by and was molasses without Cardinal yeah, Baseball. It really was. It was such a sweet taste of, yes, <laughs> we've finally gotten it back. 
a little bit of normalcy, and then boom. They'll be well-rested for next year. And, by the way, <laughs> they do look smart for not starting the season with Dylan Carlson. Well, they look They're lucky. F- fortuitous, yeah, yeah. but it, it worked to their advantage. It's Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, I got a fun phone call yesterday, and it made <laughs> Michelle giddy. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle, my phone rang yesterday. Usually I text, and so when my phone rings, I take notice. And uh, the, the person on the other line, uh, on the other end of the line, said, Hey, I just wanted you to know that uh, we in the St. Louis uh, NFL lawsuit have uh, filed notices of deposition for about 40 people from the NFL, including Roger Goodell and Eric Grubman and Stan Kroenke and Kevin Demoff and a representative from every other team. And the lawsuit by St. Louis against the National Football League is moving forward. And they're going to take depositions, whether it be virtual or in person, between the beginning of September and the end of the year. And everybody pretty much that was involved in those meetings that's still alive is going to be deposed. Obviously, Bob McNair was there. He has passed away. They are going to talk to Jerry Richardson, who was a big defender of St. Louis. And pretty much everybody who was involved in that corrupt process on the NFL side is going to be deposed by uh, the St. Louis legal crew. And it should be really interesting. I don't know how much we'll hear about these depositions, but it'll be interesting to see what sort of excuses the league comes up with. There's so many different waves to this, Randy. But first of all, I am thrilled that this is happening. I am thrilled that they are taking it to the NFL and to these owners, and specifically Stan Kroenke and Kevin Demoff, for breaking their relocation guidelines that they put in place and doing something that was wrong. Um, I also think we should get our popcorn ready because this is going to be very entertaining. And it is really interesting because I wonder which route these owners are going to take. First of all, I bet they're furious that this has even gotten to this yes. point. Um, and, I, and I wonder if they're going to lie or if they're going to say nothing. Or they're going to say, I don't recall. Or something of that nature, yeah. which is so, that's so Bush League. It is. Ugh. But I, I also was thinking about this last night. I wonder how many owners are sick of Jerry Jones. They're sick of Goodell. They have lost some of the luster for the L.A. project and for Stan Kroenke. And if there might be even some inkling that some of these owners are like, hey, let's just tell the truth. It's going to cost them money, though. And I'll start with that. Well, let, let me give you this first, because this is... Uh, Notable. On the morning of the relocation vote, Stan Kroenke signed an agreement that he would pay for all legal fees in the event of a lawsuit against the league or him or the other owners. Apparently, there are owners who are not only lawyering up, but lawyering up with really expensive lawyers just because they know Kroenke's paying for it. So they're getting the best lawyers in their towns so that that lawyer can be sitting next to them during a deposition, and they know that Kroenke is paying every penny. And Kroenke is really upset about that, which is cool to hear. Well, he shouldn't be upset about it. He should have anticipated that. He should now. have. Yeah. When you say, hey, I'm going to foot the bill, you should have recognized, hey, there's probably going to be a lawsuit at some point here because I'm doing something wrong. And also, these are billionaire owners with right. a lot at stake. I'm not just going to hire some random lawyer. I'm going to hire the best possible person to protect me in this position. Now, 
in regards to telling the truth, the entire league is going to be affected by this when St. Louis wins. And for those that haven't heard it here, and you can read it in the lawsuit, uh, just Google St. Louis NFL lawsuit. But here's what St. Louis will ask for. They're going to ask for the approximately $17 million that Dave Peacock and Bob Blitz spent to try to get a new stadium here. You can write this down. I am. They're going to ask for about $100 million that was uh, left on the dome debt. They're going to ask for tax money, and, and that's a nominal amount, but the tax money lost from not having those game day Sundays for the remainder of the lease. They're going to ask for the $550 million relocation fee that the Rams paid and the unjust enrichment because they interfered with the business of St. Louis, the unjust enrichment will be the difference in the value of the Rams franchise on the day they left, which was about $1.5 billion, and the day the lawsuit starts. Right now, the team is worth $3.2 billion, according to Forbes. There's a very good chance that with the new stadium, it'll be worth $5 billion. So... You'd have a difference of five, three and a half billion, plus the other money that we talked about, the 550 for the relocation fee, that gets you up over four. And the other money, I think, will get you right around 4.3 billion at the high end. So you're looking at between 3.2, 3.3, and four and a half billion that the league and the Rams would have to pay to St. Louis. Now, when you say the league and the Rams would have to pay to St. Louis, does that mean each owner would have to kick in a share? Each member club, yes. The league is a club. And so my my impression is, is that each member club would have to pay in a certain amount. And if you're talking three hundred million or three billion, that's a hundred million a team right off the bat. I was just going to try to do that math. So thank you for doing that for me. So and if you add another half to that, that'd be $150 million, I think, per, per team, right? So the, it, it's going to be pretty expensive for the league to have moved the Rams to L.A. So the $550 million relocation fee that is divided amongst the teams in the NFL. Correct. They could end up having to pay back to St. Louis more than they got. Right, because to, the move was fraudulent, because right. they didn't adhere to their own relocation guidelines this could be so good <laughs> and the big things they did there there were several number one leading the city of st louis and, and the blitz peacock uh task force that was initiated by governor nixon they led down, them down a path of belief that they could keep the franchise and then kevin demoff the the biggest smoking gun here is demoff's speech to his high school when the team moved back to la giving the timeline of when it all started when Stan Kroenke called him in 2013 and said, I've got an unbelievable spot here to uh, to build a stadium. And so on one end, you've got Demoff saying it was a day in your life you don't forget. And then on the other end, you've got Demoff coming on our station and saying, I hope to be in St. Louis. We're doing everything we can to stay in St. Louis. And Goodell essentially saying the same thing. Goodell going into press conferences when... This was all on the tracks to move to L.A. and saying, yeah, St. Louis just needs to keep doing what they've been doing. Fans need to keep buying tickets and they need to keep trying to build a stadium with the absolute unequivocal knowledge that the franchise had no chance of being here. 
And what happened with the phone records, too? Isn't that something that the, the could potentially come back and, to bite them? Uh, the phone records and discovery uh, slowly but surely trickling in. And yes, they're, according to what I understand from my sources, there is some discovery that could be considered a smoking gun, but not the big, not, nothing as good as the video they have. Of Demoff essentially yeah, saying, yeah, hey, here's yeah. what happened. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and um, didn't that video get scrubbed from the internet? It did. Which is, I think, interesting in itself, isn't yeah, and, it? Yeah, and I know there are people that have it. There are people that could text us right now that have access to that that video, and I know the attorneys have access to that video, so I don't think that uh, that's a concern. And then the other part you have to factor in here, Michelle, is that at every turn, the Rams and the NFL have tried to stop the legal process from taking place here. What they want is what Cronky uh, wanted was to have arbitration. And I'm sure that they have to be scared to death about a case taking place in the city of St. Louis with city juries, uh, with a city jury. It, when a St. Louis city jury sits, and I'm sure that the NFL will ask for a change of venue and it's not going to happen, but a city jury is going to understand exactly what, even if they have paid no attention, they're going to watch the video and they're going to understand what happened. I think it's pretty clear cut when you hear that video, yeah. when when you hear the audio of that, of somebody saying, hey, this is what happened. This, And then you compare and contrast that with the things that were said publicly. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take a genius to figure out right. that this was wrong. Yeah. So hopefully... We'll uh, we'll get this done. And by the way, the case is not going to be heard until the fall of 2021. So we're looking at a a year from this coming fall before the case is heard here in St. Louis. But just a little bit of news that the depositions are going to take place. And man, would it be fun? They should sell tickets for those. I would go. I would too, even if it was virtual. Now, is that something when they're deposed that uh, whatever they say could be made public? Ultimately, the depositions could be played at trial, but the deposition tapes, no, will not be made available. Man. So, I'd pay for that. I would, too. That's Michelle. I'm, I'm, how about Carriker and Smallman? Just say that. <laughs> we're we're so excited show. about this. We're, that we say, yeah, we're thrilled. And we're excited that Eli Drinkwitz, the head coach at the University of Missouri, is going to join us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Character. It's 101 ESPN in St. Louis. And late last week, we learned the possible teams that SEC teams would play against in a conference-only schedule for 2020. Hopefully, we do get a chance to play. And a guy who's working towards that season is the Mizzou head coach, Eli Drinkwitz, who joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Coach, it is great to have you with us. How are you doing this morning? Man, I'm doing great. What would y'all like to talk about? Y'all want to talk about Russia has a vaccine? You want to talk about college football? You want to talk about the Major League Baseball bubble, the St. Louis Cardinals, and their battle versus COVID? There's plenty of topics of conversation. Where y'all want to start today? That's quite the buffet, Coach, but we want to start first and foremost with your diet because the last time we spoke to you, you chronicled your oatmeal diet for us. So we just wanted to know how long did you do it and was it successful? I'd like to go on record that that was a bad idea, okay? and, and that that was not a successful plan. Uh, you know, unlike some other people, I can admit when I'm wrong. Uh, that that too much sugar in oatmeal. Um, 
So that that did not work out the way I wanted it. Have you moved on to something else? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I, I'm uh, I'm on ketosis. If I'm a little bit short with you right now, <laughs> uh, that that's because I'm I'm in keto. I'm I'm in full blown ketosis. And uh, your temper is a little bit shorter when you're in uh, ketosis. So be careful. Be careful what you ask. You might get some. You might get some hot truth today. We hope so. We hope so. so yeah. and, and, as you mentioned, hey, maybe maybe Russia has a vaccine here. Yeah. Look, uh, we don't believe anything they say. Never have uh, the, the disinformation campaign. Uh, so I, I read where they've only gone through phase one and feel like they have a. I'd be careful if I took that one. That's for sure. Yeah, me too. You know, well, speaking I mean, of, oh. try to, uh, I mean, we still got we got New Zealand had their first positive case in a hundred and something days. That's what you get for bragging, right? Right, Those exactly. Five counts before the fall. You know, there's all kinds of. We had a hundred days without a case. Oh yeah, watch this. Four cases today. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, maybe they should take more of a humble approach, right, Coach? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, ain't nobody got this thing figured out. Let's just yeah. be honest about it. Well, speaking of that, speaking of disinformation, there's been a lot of rumors and obviously speculation about the fall football season uh, in college football. What can you tell us about the latest that you're hearing? Yeah, I can tell you on the record, not one of these anonymous sources that people want to put on Twitter and put all, you know, all these fake rumors out there and cause the media to get into a tizzy. And it's just not good for public health. Uh, I can tell you on the record, the SEC is steadfast in their plan. Uh, Commissioner Sankey has been uh, steadfast in his approach to this. Uh, he's not been flippant. He is his, has been methodical. The athletic directors and presidents have all marched with uh, his message and our coaching staff, and we are planning on playing September 26th. Um, we backed up the season in order to allow us to have more time to see how this thing is going to go. There are several universities that have started school back already, and so we're anticipating there might be a little bump, and we want to be able to navigate that. But, uh, you know, that that's the plan right now, and, and I don't foresee that changing until there's more information out there, um, and we're not really worried about what everybody else is thinking. Coach, the original plan was to start Labor Day weekend. In terms of where your team will be on the 26th, in terms of moving along and uh, knowing the system and knowing where to be on what play, how do you, how will you be on the 26th relative to where you would have been on your opener? Do you want the Russian answer or do you want the, the real answer? <laughs> I want the real answer here. <laughs> we want the keto uh, answer. <laughs> uh, the Russian answer was going to be, Craig, we'll be able to take on the Patriots. But uh, the real answer is I'm not quite sure. You know, we had the 12 days. We had a mini camp last week where we were able to do walkthroughs with the ball. And it was really good for us to be able to install our offense and see it out there and line up in formations and walk through our assignments. Um, but, man, football is a game that's played with pads. And we'll find out um, – really start next Wednesday when we can put on shoulder pads and, and really progress all the way till the 26th. Uh, we got some pieces. We got some guys that really want to play, but it's going to be a matter of us coming together. And, and uh, so I'm not quite sure. I, I'll say this. I'm as positive about how, how we'll look as I am about who we'll play since we don't even know who we're playing yet on the 26th. But we'll be ready. We'll be ready. How do you feel about getting LSU and Alabama? Well, crud, I mean, I came to Missouri to play against the best. Uh, I mean, you come to the SEC to, to go against the best. I mean, who, who are you going to shy away from? You know, I mean, it ain't like there was anybody else. I mean, we were going to get a good opponent. You know, I mean, uh, Auburn and A&M ain't no slouch. They're both in the top 25, too. So, 
you know, if, you, if you're coming to play in this league, you know you're going to play against great competition and great coaches. We have a tremendous amount of respect for our opponents, but we knew it was going to be a, a good football team. You know what? But they're going to get a good football team in return, too. And so it'll be a great matchup, and hey, that's why you come play in the SEC. Coach, we know that you playing on September 26 obviously centers around the players being safe and them being healthy. So what kind of precautions are you taking at Mizzou to make sure that that's the case? My goodness, we are taking every precaution that we possibly can. Uh, I am more aware of any sniffle or sneeze or if I feel elevated uh, temperature or anything that you possibly can. And I'm making light of it, but I'm not making light of it because we we really are – our, all of our players have to fill out a, a, a series of questionnaires on an application on an app before they come to work or come to uh, the facility, um, and it's just a series of you know questions about if they're feeling any of these symptoms. And then once they're here, um, they take a temperature and we and we do a, a oxygen oxygen test to make sure that they got a got the proper blood flow um, oxygen in their blood flow. And then we do social distancing while we're here. Uh, everybody wears a mask inside the building and out around the building where we're at practice. We all have these face shields and masks on us. Um, when we lift weights, there's not only one person to a rack. Uh, when we run, we spread out six feet apart. We've utilized both the visitor's locker room and the home locker room so that uh, that we, we, we don't overcrowd any one area. Um, we we have an unbelievable facility, which is awesome for us. We spread out, no meetings um, are tight, uh, you know, tighter. We have to make sure that everybody has six feet of separation uh, in our meeting room. So we're taking every precaution we can. We're, we're doing surveillance testing on our players. We're doing symptom testing on our players. And then we're doing um, um, uh, the SEC protocols for testing too. So we've got a great plan in place. And, and our guys, the most important thing about all those plans is the players, coaches' personal responsibility and making sure they're doing their, their – uh, when they're outside of this building, making sure they're practicing safe social distancing, making sure they're washing their hands, wearing their masks, staying out of crowded areas. And, and that has been the biggest key to success. It sounds like a really safe environment, and you have a lot of people in college football right now, Coach, whether it's Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence or Nebraska head coach Scott Frost saying, hey, keeping these players in this college football environment is the safest place for them because if they're sent home to their home environments, who knows how strict any of the guidelines or um, any of the protocols are going to be followed. So do you agree with that? Do you think having the players at Mizzou or having players in a college football environment might be the safest place for them right now? Here's the thing. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna downgrade where anybody's home is, and I'm not gonna downgrade where where they go and what they might do at home. What I will say is this: I'm extremely proud of what we have, uh, the safeguards we have in place here. I'm extremely proud of having MU Health um, less than 800 yards away. I'm extremely proud of Tiffany Bohan, Dr. Tiffany Bohan, a former MU athlete who's our primary care doctor. Uh, Dr. Witt, who's a, a leading epidemiologist in the field, uh, I, I'm extremely proud of the, the the way we surround our our players with care and the way we look after them. Um, and I think we can do a great job of keeping them safe. Um, if a player told me, "Hey, you know what, coach? I want to opt out. I want to go home." Here's the deal about having players back. I have his back, whether or not he says he wants to play, or whether or not he says he wants to opt out. Both of those are fine with me. I do think we have a safe environment for these guys. I do think uh, 
that even if you don't choose to play, you can still get the virus at a local bar or somewhere else. Uh, I do know that we have not had any uh, local transmission on our team, meaning we have not had a transmission of COVID through workouts, through practices, or anything that has occurred in our building through contact tracing. So I do feel like it's a safe environment, uh, and and I do feel comfortable uh, with having our our players be here. And and like I said uh, to my team yesterday, I understand what you're going through. I mean, I've got a decision to make, too. I've got a a 10-year-old Addison, uh, Emerson, who's seven, going into the fourth and second grades. I've got a three-year-old who's going to pre-K. And I have to make decisions on whether or not I'm sending them to school. And I've chosen to do that. So everybody's got to make their choices. And uh, we're going to keep on living uh, living our life without fear, but with practicing uh, the guidelines that have been put in place. Hey, Coach, uh, you brought up your kids, and that reminded me of something I wanted to ask you. Because on the day you took this job, you were at one of your daughter's dance recitals, right? Yeah. I've got a daughter that's 22. She's past that. But... When you're at your daughter's dance recital, do you really care about anybody else's kids dancing? <laughs> you know what I do care about? You still haven't invited me to the lake. Uh, but <laughs> let's see. Uh, I, no, I, not really. Me, no, not really. No, I, you know, it's no. I mean, no, I don't. It's not a team performance. No. Uh, you know, it's not, it's, not a, it, it's not a team sport, okay? In a team sport, you can – you can, all right, I got to see how the team's doing. But in a dance recital, I mean, it's an individual sport. You watch your your kid when she's not on the stage. You probably check your cell phone, look on Twitter, maybe, you know, maybe second, see what the latest uh, post on Facebook might be. See if you get a little update on your ESPN app. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's how I go about it. I'm going to be completely honest with you. One time I fell asleep. <laughs> I, I, I took a little nap. It was a really dark recital it was completely dark theater and yeah. my daughter wasn't dancing and uh, i was in the back of the room and i i took a little snooze well i'm not gonna comment on that <laughs> i appreciate that yeah hey. I'm, not, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna say you got dad of the year because we would probably have to take that trophy back you know i know they had to take the heisman back from Reggie bush a few years ago yeah they would probably have to take your trophy back if they if, if we were going to admit that Hey, Eli, uh, seriously speaking here, you mentioned off the top of the Cardinals, and they did everything they could. John Mozeliak tells us all the time, hey, uh, our players, they were responsible and they followed protocols, but somehow something from the outside was able to infect one guy and it winds up infecting a whole team. And those are little teaching moments that a pro sports franchise that did everything that, that I would think that you can pass along to your team. Just, hey, look 90 miles down the road at what happened there. Yeah, I mean, first off, the Cardinals could have had me throw out the first pitch. That might have helped them a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But um, with, with, without doing that, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I tell our guys all the time, you can do everything right and still get the virus. Um, you know, no different than the Miami Marlins, the, the St. Louis Cardinals. We had testing protocols in place. What we all have to understand is testing does not keep you safe, Okay. The only thing that can keep you safe is practicing the safe social distancing, practicing these things, hand washing, wearing masks, uh, avoiding crowded places. Those are the things that keep you safe. There's a misnomer out there that, oh, I tested negative for the virus. I'm safe. (laughs) No, just because you test negative for the virus just means that that you're negative at that moment in time. You have to continue to practice all the things that they're asking you to do. And and that's honestly why testing become a little bit. Uh, scary, I think, because I think it gives people this false sense of security that they're safe. Um, testing only tells you if you have the presence of the virus. It doesn't give you 
uh, any type of protection from it. Uh, final thing, Coach, i got to ask you a fan question. Do you have anybody that has taken the quarterback job? No. No, not yet. Um, you know, we're, but we will, we're, we're, we are as anxious as everybody else on when we announce the starting quarterback. But th- those guys are working hard. Uh, you know, we've been having the underwear Olympics. So until we put pads on and can demonstrate toughness and decision-making, accuracy and leadership, uh, we won't have a starting quarterback. Okay, and we'll repeat the lead here. The SEC steadfast in playing starting on September 26th. And right now, that is the plan, despite what anything we read on Twitter or the, the people at ESPN, SEC planning on playing. Hey, we're the leaders in college football for a reason, man. Absolutely. And we're proud to have you here, and we love having you on the show, Coach. Great conversation. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Hey, can I ask you one thing? Have you ever had Cinnamon Toast Crunch cereal? <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite. That's is it? my favorite. Uh, I've never oh, had yeah, it. I mean, what? Michelle Thank is, you, Coach. Michelle is are an, also appalled. Are you an American? Uh, He's about to be today, Coach, because I brought it into the studio, and at the top of the 8 o'clock hour, he's going to try Cinnamon Toast Crunch live on the radio for the very first time. I'm going to tune in because I'll be shocked if you don't love it. It's absolutely wonderful. I will tell you this. Don't fall for the trap of the churros. They're not nearly as good as the Cinnamon Toast Crunch, but I love Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I think it's delicious. Uh, Sometimes I'll eat it for supper. Sometimes I'll eat it for a little dessert. All right. Well, I'm going to try it here at the top of the hour, and I'm excited because it really has gotten 100% positive reviews. Nobody said even, eh, about Cinnamon Toast Crunch. It's always, like you said, awesome, the best. Yeah, I mean, it's cinnamon. It's delicious. All right. Coach, great to have you with us. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, boys. Thanks. See you. That is uh, Eli Drinkwitz. Boy, is he fun. Randy, I can't believe you fell asleep at a dance recital. Oh, yeah. It wasn't for long. It was just a little power nap. It might have been two or three minutes. I don't know. But I know that my daughter did not dance during my nap. Why? Because your wife would have elbowed you awake? Oh, no, because Joan was helping her get dressed and stuff. Oh. It was when Katie was little, real, really little. And so, no, I was alone. It was at Pattonville. And I was in the very back. And the Cardinals were playing. I remember watching part of the game on my phone. And so... Hours are going by. And I had the program, so I know I didn't miss any of her dances. But, yeah, I took uh, – I, I, I kind of fell asleep for a little bit. You're lucky that no one got that on camera, Randy, because I can imagine if Coach fell asleep during his oh. daughter's dance recital, that's going to be all over social media. <laughs> yeah, it was pitch dark. Nobody could see me. Uh, let me see if anybody else uh, – here, Randy, I'm with you on the recital. That was one positive from the pandemic. I didn't have to spend an entire weekend sitting in a theater to watch my daughter dance three times. It's like a three-hour thing, two-and-a-half, three-hour thing, and your daughter dances three times. You know, it should be like one of those things where you pull a number and they text you, hey, you need to be at this place at this time. That'd be good. They should text you and say, hey, your daughter is going to be on stage in 20 minutes. Make sure you're here at the auditorium. <laughs> I think that's a good idea. Thanks. So text in if you have ever... Uh, fallen asleep at a dance recital, with, especially if it was your daughter's. And by the way, a lot of positive texts about Coach. Oh, he's the best. <laughs> he's awesome. How, if you're a Mizzou fan, I know obviously you're going to make your final judgment on him when you see the product on the field, but up until this point, how do you not love this right. hire by your university if you're a Mizzou fan? And if you are the parent of a player and you hear him say, 
If a player decides to opt out, I'm behind him 100%. If a player decides to play, I'm behind him 100%. He just has his players' interests so much at heart. I don't see how you couldn't be really excited about having a kid play for him or, as you said, as a Mizzou fan, having him represent your state. It's great. He's great. And I'm glad that he admitted that the oatmeal diet did not work in his favor. (laughs) (laughs) I was was wondering how that might play out. Coming up, get your text into the air. Comfort service text line 65780. Take it or leave it on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Next segment, I'm going to try Cinnamon Toast Crunch. We appreciate all the positive response to Coach Drinkwitz. He's awesome. A couple of dance recital texts, Michelle. From the 636, not only have I fallen asleep at my daughter's dance recital, I woke myself up with a loud snore and noticed that I had drooled out of the side of my mouth while asleep. (laughs) That's brutal. (laughs) Uh, Michelle's idea about texting when it's time to come in and pay attention can be championed to happen for social distancing. Then, like the DH situation in baseball, it may become standard for perpetuity. That's the play. That's yes, absolutely it's the play. For social distancing. Yeah, you say we are trying to do this in a safe manner. You don't approach it, hey, I'm bored. I'm falling asleep here. I don't want to see 60 other kids dance. Mm-hmm. I just want to see my kid dance. That's not the approach you take because they're going right. to say, hey, you're being a selfish parent. You say, hey, I'm trying to keep everyone safe. Mm-hmm. Social distancing. Shoot me a text. I will come in. It's a great idea. And you can watch a game in your car. We're always thinking. You, yeah. I mean, Pull up an NHL game, an NBA game, watch it in your car, pop in there, see your kid dance, you're out of there. A couple of other ones from the 618. My parents forced me to go to my sister's dance recitals, so I returned the favor by sleeping through them all the time. (laughs) And uh, one more from the 618. I had a girlfriend who was a dance teacher, and I used to have to go every year, every day. I used to sleep in the back all the time. So what I did is not completely unusual or out of the norm. Wait, so... His girlfriend was a dance teacher. teacher. That's way worse because at you least you don't know any of the kids. Yeah, you have no emotional attachment to this. You're gonna say to your girlfriend afterwards. You're probably gonna give her flowers and say, "Great job. You worked right. so hard." You're the, you don't yeah. care. Oh, that girl was so good. Right. Your team was so good. You don't care. That's yeah. that is a very good boyfriend because that's a brutal way to spend a weekend day. It really is. Does that mean that I said that? No. No. It, 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 Everybody agrees with you. Okay, good. Because I was just thinking, is that I should be, you know, yeah. I don't know. You never know, Randy. <laughs> All but right. I just, I wouldn't want to do that. Me personally, if I didn't have a kid involved in it, I wouldn't uh, care. That, that's, that was my thought process. So, and especially when there's Cardinal Baseball on. You know what you should do next time if if you ever well you don't have never to do happen that again. again maybe, maybe a grandkid, grandkid. <laughs> I was gonna say maybe a grandkid if yeah. if Katie has a daughter yeah. who might be into dance or Patrick yeah. um, throw on some AirPods and then throw on a movie or something oh yeah I, I did watch some baseball in the you back. should get like a dad coal there should be like a dad coalition or a parent coalition it's kind of loosely formed but there already is we don't even know it but it's there right <laughs> where you're just like hey. Yeah. This is where we're going to sit. Yep. We're going to watch some sports, hang out. All right, Michelle, I want to get this on the record from you. With the Blues playing back-to-back games next week, take it or leave it, Jake Allen does start a playoff game for the Blues. Oh, that's a really good one. And I'm going to leave it. Oh, you got I, I, I want to... I, I, 
I don't know. I just think if Jordan Bennington comes out and he's playing as hot as I hope that he does, I am I am always in favor of playing the hot hand, even if it's mm-hmm. back-to-back games. I believe that Jake will start a playoff game. He'll start one at one end of the back-to-back. All right, Randy, take it or leave it. In about, well, six minutes maybe, mm-hmm. you are going to try Cinnamon Toast Crunch. So take it or leave it. You're going to buy Cinnamon Toast Crunch one day after today. I'll take that. Yeah. I have. It's amazing to have a food that 100% of the people agree on, whether it's Textures, whether it's you, whether it's Scotty, Dan Mack, Coach Drinkwitz, everybody that we've talked to about Cinnamon Toast Crunch loves it. No, and it's not, yeah, it's pretty good. It's they love it. It's the best, Randy, the absolute best. And I think after you have it today, you're going to say, oh, this is something that I can, it's a meal that I can, or a snack that I can make at any time. I'm definitely going to buy this. Like and you're going to have it in your, in your pantry. Coach says sometimes for dinner, sometimes for dessert. Maybe, Yeah, maybe that's his new diet instead of oatmeal. It's just <laughs> steady cinnamon toast crunch. <laughs> Scotty, what do you got for us? All right, from the 636, going back to college football. Take it or leave it. Even if we do have college football this fall, there will not be any bowl games. Mm, good one. I am going to leave that. Because of the money involved? Yep. Yeah, that's exactly why I was going to leave it. If you're going to play, you're going to try to get every yep. ounce of, of money that you can. And won't the rest of the country be ticked when all four teams in the playoff of the final four are from the SEC? <laughs> <laughs> SEC bias, Randy. <laughs> this one's from the 636. Take it or leave it. The MLB will institute a bubble for the postseason. I'm going to take that. I think it's a smart idea. I think it is, too, and I'm going to take that as well. Yeah, do it in Arizona. Do it at Chase Field. Hopefully things will calm. They have calmed down in Arizona, so it would be a a good place to do it. It also seems like that's something that they're considering, and that's the last thing that they would want is to have some sort of an outbreak in the postseason. Right, and there are plenty of hotel rooms, and uh, if you needed to do – that's all Riverfields and Scottsdale. If you don't have any fans, it's a fine ballpark. It's a big league big league clubhouses it'll be fine from the 636 take it or leave it vancouver still burns down their city if they lose to the blues in the series i'm gonna leave it no they only burn down the city when they are in the finals yeah it's only a positive right. outcome right that they well, when or it, when the inten- intensity level is higher it's just oh, not high it. enough in the first round by the way when the games aren't played at home i don't know why you would mess up your city if the game's not in your city I don't know why you'd mess up your city anyway. That's true. Sometimes people get mad. The Blues won, and we had no problems at all at the parade, Randy. No problems at all. But we were happy. Some cities are not happy. Even though Vancouver is the most beautiful city in North America, some people just can't be happy. It's the most beautiful city in North America. Vancouver? Yeah. Yeah. I've never been. I've never been But that seems like a hot take. Ask any, when Danny Mac comes in for the crossover, ask him what the most beautiful city in North America is. What makes it so beautiful? Well, it's right on the water, and the water is crystal clear, and the buildings, it's new, it's clean, it's just, it's beautiful. Wow. What about Cancun? This is not in North America, Scotty. Mexico isn't in North America? Not quite. Oh. Also, have you been to Cancun? I, I, no, I just, I've seen pictures, and I kind of want to go. junk it in Cancun. <laughs> I wouldn't call <laughs> it. Yeah. I mean, right. it's not not beautiful, but. <laughs> yeah. No. Just thought the water was clear. Yeah. The water is clear. That's true. Thank you, sir. You got it. And uh, thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Next up, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Will Randy love it? It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 
805, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Last week, somehow we got into the conversation about cereal on Carriker and Smallman. We tend to get into food conversations now and then, but everybody was aghast that I had never had Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And I like Kashi Go Lean. As I mentioned to you, I like Raisin Bran. Yeah. I, I like the, the cereals that have a tendency to be thought of as healthy, even though they might not be, but they're thought of as healthy. Now, I have never tried Cinnamon Toast Crunch, although I have to believe they kind of look like checks with cinnamon on them, right? That is so disrespectful. They're probably healthy, though. Well, they're shaped like checks, right? And they No, checks are woven like a basket. These, look, this is woven. Hold on, I did pour some. Yeah. No, Randy, this is Ridge. This no, is like Ridge, a this okay. is like a Lay's potato chip, so I'm, I'm but with cinnamon and oh, sugar. Okay, I'm gonna try one. Like Coach Drink said, like it would be a dessert. Okay, so this is something that you would put in a bowl and eat while you're watching a movie. So for all of those listening, he's eating it dry. And it's, he's eating it dry, it, right? It is available right now on our Facebook Live page, 101 ESPN Facebook Live page too. So yes, I'm gonna eat one just crunchy live. Okay, here we okay. go. All right. He's chewing. His face is, he's thinking, he's thinking. Oh, he's smiling. It's really good. <laughs> it's really good. Okay, now now you have to do it like we would if this was a breakfast. It does have cinnamon. Okay, so I'm going to put some milk yes. on it. Michelle was generous enough flavor. to bring some milk in along with the cereal. So I'm going to try this as a breakfast. Now, I'm very intrigued to see how much milk you use because that's always something that people, you know, their preferences vary. Some people like a like a heavy milk pour. Some people uh-huh. like a light milk pour. I'm medium. I was just going to say you're about you're moderate. You're yeah. moderate there. Okay, so also, do you mix up your cereal to make sure that all of it gets touched by milk no, before you take a bite? I oh, don't. Wow, you don't okay. dunk it. No, but I do put my spoon in deep, so there is no doubt that I have. <laughs> Milk on my cereal. Now, another part of this, by the way, is this is whole milk. I'm a skim milk guy. They were out of skim. Okay. Just telling you. I so with, they with, had one percent or whole, yeah, and with, I, I I thought you might like whole better. Really? I would have gone oat milk, you know, but I no. asked you, and you did not prefer the alternative. Oh no, I, I like real milk. Yeah, that's what, you told me. I like real milk, so I yeah. went whole. Has, has anybody ever <laughs> grabbed the udder of an oat? No. <laughs> It hasn't happened. Okay, it's got so a sweetness to it. Here we go. Oh, he's tasting it, chewing, chewing. Okay, he just raised his eyebrows. It's pretty spectacular. Three times. <laughs> he's smiling. That's good. Right? It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Is it's it the great. best cereal you've ever had? I mean, R- Randy, if you're used to raisin bran, what is happening right now to your taste buds? Um, they're exploding. <laughs> yeah. I would have to say it's that. It's a party, this, right? It's a party in my mouth. Uh, I don't know if I want to. <laughs> Um, yeah, this is, uh, I would have to do a taste test, but I will say that this would be very difficult. This is sensational. Is this good for you? Probably not. Uh, well, here, let's do some nutrition facts. Hang on. Here, I got it. Okay, so one serving size is a cup. We're looking at 170 calories, 220 if you had some skim milk, so probably more for you with whole milk there. Um, our sugars... Where are we? 12 grams. So, and it's now, not 100. And imagine this, Randy, okay? okay? Picture this. You're a kid. You have a tough science test today. You're dreading it. You get up in the morning. You have a bowl of cinnamon toast crunch. All of a sudden, your day's better. You're ready to conquer the day because you have a sugar high and school doesn't seem so bad. 
That's true. I wish I would have had this for school. Yeah, you had raisin bran. You had frosted mini wheat, which is essentially mulch with a little icing on it. I did have frosted flakes, too. Yeah, I, those are all right. Yeah. But see, the chocolate frosted flakes came out later. Chocolate frosted flakes dominate regular frosted flakes. There's no comparison. Disagree, but to each his own. All right. So you have a top 10 list of the greatest cereals of all time. I do. I figured I might need something to fill the time while you're eating. Thank you. Appreciate that. So this is really me helping you, people helping people. It's powerful stuff. Because I knew once you had one bite of Cinnamon Toast Crunch that you would want to finish it. So while you snack on that, here is the official Michelle Smallman top 10 cereal list. Number 10. Thank you, David Letterman. Number 10, Randy, I'm going Corn Pops. And actually, this might be more difficult than you think to put together a top 10 list because there's some mediocre cereals out there. But Corn Pops, it's good. Is Corn Pops more of an adult cereal or a kid's cereal? Seems I, like I think it's kind of a transcendent cereal. You can go either way with Corn Pops. Does Corn Pops have sugar in it? I believe so, yes. Okay, then it's a kid's cereal. It's good. Number nine. Number nine. This cereal, Randy, took a lot of heat last week, but I'm adding it in the lower tiers of my top ten. Honey Nut Cheerios. Very good. Throw some bananas in there, maybe some blueberries. Mix it up. You still got a little sweetness in there. Honey Nut Cheerios, while not a number one overall pick for me, certainly deserving of a top ten spot. Coach Drink said don't trust Cheerios, but that was regular Cheerios, I think. Yeah, we may have another Cheerio on the list. Okay. Tease. Number eight. Randy. Next on your list of things to try, if you haven't already, French Toast Crunch. Never tried them. All right. Well, it's like Cinnamon Toast Crunch, but instead of these delicious little ridged cinnamon delicacies. Kind of like checks with... They're not checks. Okay. But you've got you've got baby French toast, Randy. They literally are shaped like baby French toast, and they're amazing. I'm going to be eating babies? <laughs> baby French toast. Okay. okay. Number seven. Number seven. This is for you, Randy. I wanted to get a little healthy cereal in the mix, so we went with the peanut butter puffins. It's got protein. Peanut butter puffins. They're in the healthy section yep. of the cereal aisle. Um, they still have that peanut butter flavor to it, but it's a guilt. It's a really a guilt-free breakfast. I love this. Okay, this is a good list. Number six. Cheerios, Randy. You know what's better than a honey nut Cheerio? What? A frosted Cheerio. Okay, that's good. And the milk afterwards, I would argue, might be the best post-cereal milk there is. Really? If you haven't tried it, don't knock it. This is a high level of praise for the Frosted Cheerios. The Frosted Cheerios, they come in a blue box. When I went to pick up the Cinnamon Toast Crunch, I surveyed the scene to make sure they were still there, and they are. Frosted Cheerios, do not sleep on them. Number five. Fan favorite, Randy. Some may argue it's placed too low on this top ten list. We're going Lucky Charms. Oh, they're magically delicious. They are. I think a lot of people would argue that they are absolutely a top five, but I'm going to hear the rest of your list, and I probably won't disagree with them being at number five. Number four. This may be the most controversial pick in the top ten, Randy. At number four, I'm going Apple Jacks. No, you aren't. Yes, I am. I'm going Apple Jacks. Apple Jacks are awesome. I feel like Apple Jacks do not get enough love. They have that sugar coating, but with kind of a fruitish taste. And they're just a cereal that you can eat a lot of. It's one of those things that if you want a big bowl of cereal, you can pour a lot of Apple Jacks in there. It's like having an apple. Yeah, you're going to get the bang for your buck. And you can rationalize it in your brain that it's got a little fruit in there, even though it definitely doesn't. Number three. (laughs) Number three, Randy. We actually have a box of it in here today. I wanted to make it number two, but something slighted it. But Golden Grams. Those Golden Grams. Golden Grams are so good. It's like graham crackers and milk. Outstanding. I love graham. You could have like, isn't there a s'mores cereal? 
There think, is. There yeah. is. It was there. I looked at it. Haven't had it. But you definitely could make a little s'more cereal with Golden Grahams. Great. Number two. But a quick aside about Golden Grahams. Unlike a tr- traditional s'more, you don't need the chocolate and the marshmallows to have a delicious bowl of Golden Grahams. Oh, right. So anyway, number two, Randy, Reese's Peanut Butter Puffs. I love Reese's. I love peanut butter cups. So I'm thinking that this might be, this might be my number one. All due respect to Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Reese's Peanut Butter Puffs? Just personal preference. I agree. This could be kind of a, a number one, number two overall draft debate. It depends on what kind of style of quarterback you're looking yeah, for, right. Randy. You know, some might want a, a traditional pocket passer. Some might want a dual threat. It just depends on what you like. But you really can't go wrong either so way. Neither of them is Ryan Leaf. Neither of them is Ryan Leaf, no. The number one thing. And of course, number one overall, it's got to be Cinnamon Toast Crunch. These are pretty awesome. I can't argue with this. This is this is spectacular. I'm glad that you turned me on to these. And were you able, you you did some damage on oh, that bowl? Uh, I during the break, they'll they'll be gone after the break, <laughs> no doubt about it. Thank well, you, you, Michelle. You're welcome, Randy. We also have some Golden Grams later in the show. Yeah, we'll give that a shot, no doubt about it. And uh, I, I'm interested, and I just want to check the text line here. I wonder if anybody's offended at all by the fact that there are no. Chocolate Frosted Flakes or Frosted Flakes or anything like that. Uh, From the 314, there is no such thing as a healthy cereal. There are some less unhealthy than others, but they have added sugar. Yeah. I also feel like if that is the case, if there's really no healthy cereal, then just go for the Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Don't even try to rationalize it with the Puffins or with the Raisin Bran or whatever you're doing out there. Just go for the one that tastes better. The one that you like best. Uh, We've got... Three or four very important texts. Okay. Uh, number one from the 618. Michelle is crazy. How do you have two kinds of Cheerios, that goofy PB stuff, but no fruity pebbles or crunch berries? Uh, from the 314. You need to try Oreo O's. O-M-G. Ooh, I've never had them. I will say that once I try them, if they're worthy of the list, we will update as we go. Yeah. From the 636. Fruit Loops. And uh, Apple Jacks is amazing. And the, the, so there you got it. Yeah. Apple Jacks are amazing. Okay. A lot of people upset that I didn't add Fruit Loops or Fruity Pebbles, but I'm just, I'm sorry. I don't think that they're worthy of a top 10 pick. And it's your top 10 list. Thank you. Fruity Pebbles, uh, they get a little soggy. They get too soggy for me. We're going to talk more college football with Ryan Fagan of the Sporting News next on 101 ESPN. Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And joining Carriker and Smallman right now is Ryan Fagan, senior MLB writer for the Sporting News. Ryan, with Michelle Smallman, this is Randy Carriker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. How are you two doing today? We're doing very well. We want to start with this. Obviously, the Cardinal doubleheader on Thursday is canceled against Detroit. What do you think about the possibility of the Cardinals playing this weekend? I mean, you hope for another couple of days of clean testing, no more positives. That makes it uh, potentially possible. Um, you know, I, think, I think MLB is very aware of two things. First of all, they don't want to make the same mistakes they made with the Cardinals the first time and bring them back too soon, get them together as a group too soon, and have some sort of um, hibernating virus pop up and, and get a couple more tests because then you're talking about not just the series with the White Sox, but then the Cubs and then the Reds after that. And at some point, even if the Cardinals aren't going to get to 60 games, they have to play enough games to be respectable. You know, if we're going to have um, playoffs decided by one team playing 60 games, another team playing 45 games, you know, that doesn't look great. So, you know, I think the baseball right now has to kind of walk that line between, 
not bringing them back too quickly, but maybe not um, not shelving games that could have possibly been played, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And Ryan, one of the things that we've been talking about this morning is not only how the Cardinals are going to make up X number of games, but hey, these guys have to get together and just do some baseball activities because they haven't played since July 30th. So I would imagine Major League Baseball is keeping that into consideration, too, when they're thinking about how to adjust the schedule moving forward. Yeah, it's funny to think that right now the way that the Cardinals are quarantining is better for their baseball activity. You know, being stuck in their homes, which is not the ideal, but it's light years better than being stuck in hotel rooms in Milwaukee. And, you know, it's as bizarre as this year, 2020, has been. That's right up there where, you know, quarantining in your own house is suddenly light years better than the situation you were in a week ago. Yeah, because it's, you know, it's, it's not great. You know, we've seen a lot of pitchers. Um, you know, I just saw a number um, from one of the ESPN reporters this morning on the number of pitchers who have hit the injured list in the first 18 days of the season, it's something above 50, whereas the last two years, the first 18 days of the 2018 season and 2019 season, it was around 18 to 24 pitchers had hit the disabled list. So we've seen um, already the short spring training or spring, spring training 2.0 have an impact on the health of pitchers, and I know a lot of people in baseball were worried about that, but now you add that to the Cardinals trying to stop, start, stop, start, and, and do all these different things. And, yeah, it's a legitimate concern. How are you going to keep your guys healthy, not just for the 2020 season, but, you know, you don't want guys having injuries that are going to impact them the rest of their careers. Ryan, we go into this, and John Mozeliak, as you know, says all the time, I just don't know. But you mentioned the number of 45 games, and whether it's 40 or 45, can you have envisioned a scenario in which the Cardinals would play a number of games, whether it's two-thirds of a season or less than two-thirds of a season, but they wouldn't be allowed to play in the postseason. If, if if their record was good enough, even if they had a winning percentage where baseball would say, okay, you just haven't played enough for us to allow you to play in the postseason. You know, that's a great question. I, I don't think that number is exists, to be honest with you, because I don't think that baseball wants to take a fan base out. And I guess, you know, I, I constantly remind myself, you have to look at this year as a one-off, you know, and baseball is the sport steeped in tradition and, and nobody appreciates that more than me. I hated the original wild card when it came in because it wasn't how baseball was supposed to be. And I know that dates myself, ages myself a little bit by talking about the original wild card. Um, but you, you can't look at this year like that, right? When baseball decided that we were going to magically put somebody on second base to start the extra innings, that to me said that tradition, whatever, does not matter this year. Expanding the playoffs the way they did, tradition does not matter. So I think in that way, because we already have this expanded, <clears throat> excuse me, this expanded playoff, because we already have all of these other rules that are only in effect for 2020, for the 2020 season, it's okay if one of the teams in the expanded playoff only has, and again, I'm just pulling numbers out of the air, but only has 40 games. That's okay because this season is really this bizarre scenario anyway, and it, it feels weird to say that. And in a normal year, that wouldn't go. But you know, I mean, we know in in 1981, you know, teams didn't play the same number of games, and in some cases, you know, how many games you played impacted who made the playoffs and who didn't. So you know, I mean, there is a little bit of a precedent for that, and I think because this is such a strange season, you know, and it kind of pains me to say this because I don't like it. But, yeah, if a team that plays 
10 fewer games, 15 fewer games than another team, you know, makes the playoffs because the winning percentage is better than I think that's okay for 2020. Ryan, do you think that line of thinking has anything to do with the fact that the second team to have an outbreak was the Cardinals, a team that would have been in the conversation potentially for the postseason, a team that has a lot of eyeballs on them nationally, has a big fan base, they they drive ratings? Because I kind of felt like with the Marlins, the conversation was, oh, okay, well, they wouldn't have really been in the discussion anyway. But with the Cardinals, the perspective shifts a little. And I wonder if Major League Baseball is looking at the Cardinals and saying, however we treat this could come back to bite us if perhaps we see an outbreak on a team like the Yankees or the Dodgers, God forbid, moving forward. But it just seems like they might want to protect themselves in that way. I I want to say that that's not true, that that baseball (laughs) looks at all of its teams um, equally. Um, But, you know, I I think that certainly that probably has fallen in line with, with, um, some of the thought processes, because you're right, because, you know, it, it feels like everything right now is centered on the Cardinals just as much as it was centered on the Marlins, you know, two weeks ago. But the reality is, is there's a chance that another outbreak could happen, you know, and it could be with a team like the Yankees. It could be the A's who are off to a 12-4 and four start to the year. You know, it could be these teams considered to be World Series contenders, uh, and baseball has to establish some sort of rules that allows them to let those teams still be part of the conversation because you know i mean that's what the expanded playoffs are about anyway is is creating more excitement for more fan bases um in this season that's so strange anyway um so i think that baseball is very cognizant of the idea that um they want to keep the the bigger fan bases involved and excited and i think that's part of why even when the marlins we're going through this outbreak, and there are 18 players, um, you know, and they didn't play, and the Phillies didn't play, and we didn't know what was happening, and they were rearranging schedules and throwing teams in different spots. That's why baseball worked so hard at that point to, you know, make it work when some people were saying maybe just count out the Marlins because they knew it was going to happen again. I mean, we saw the situation in Cleveland where, you know, two pitchers are now being sent home and quarantined by the team because they went out after a game and met up with friends and had food and drinks. And, you know, I, there are going to be other outbreaks. There are not just when the, when the story on the 2020 season is written, it will not be that only two teams had outbreaks. And I think baseball is very, you know, again, cognizant of that fact and is putting in rules and precedents so that, you know, they're allowed to adapt a little bit as, as the year goes on. Ryan Fagan from the Sporting News. I do want to ask a baseball question because the way baseball is set up now with media and social media, players are stars before they arrive on the scene. And Fernando Tatis Jr. was one of those guys, but he appears to be legit. He's off to an incredible start. Yeah, he's he's just a star. He's he's one of the best young players in baseball. I think he's what he's doing this year. You know, we, we kind of forgot about him last year because he had such a great year, and then Pete Alonso with the bets went on and hit 50, 52 home runs um, and kind of took all that rookie star glory for the year. But Fernando Tatis Jr. was having a phenomenal year last year, and he's picked up exactly where he left off. Uh, he's one of those guys that you're going to – it would not surprise me to talk about him in, in two or three years the same way we talk about Mike Trout. You know, Mike Trout is clearly the best player in baseball. I remember, remember when it was the Mike Trout versus Bryce Harper debate? Right. Right, it's going to be the Fernando Tatis versus, I don't know who's going to be in that next category, but it's going to be in that kind of conversation with, you know, this guy is clearly the best player in baseball. Um, 
there right now, but he, he has the potential to be there, be in that conversation with Mike Trout. Ryan, make people happy here. Just say it's going to be Fernando Tatis Jr. and Dylan Carlson. <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, I mean, if Dylan Carlson never gets a chance, you know, maybe maybe baseball says, you know what, Cardinals, if you have another positive test, you just have to bring your B squad up, right? <laughs> and you replace everybody on the major league roster, and the B team comes up from the alternate site. And then Dylan Carlson becomes a star. We can't wait. Hey, Ryan, it's great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for taking some time with us. We appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Randy, Michelle. Great. Peace. That is uh, Ryan Fagan of uh, the Sporting News with us on 101 ESPN. That's what Mo says to us every night. After, peace. Uh, when he signs off from the Zoom meeting. Peace. <laughs> I just never heard you say peace before, Randy. Uh, I didn't think I would, but since Mo made it cool. It is cool. I'm going with it. Peace. The fight is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Character. All right, welcome back to Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. We're having a great day. We're eating some Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I also bought a box of Golden Grams. We may do a double cereal tasting here. Scotty, what do you think? Uh, well, I haven't had it yet, but it looks amazing, and I'm ready for you to uh, open that box. Have you had Golden Grams? I don't think I've ever had Golden Grams. What? I know, it's not okay. as bad as Jeez. Randy with the Cinnamon Toast Crunch, but... Yes, it is. What is wrong <laughs> with you guys? How has Randy never had Cinnamon Toast Crunch and you have never had Golden Grams? Am I the only person who has, you know, a wide array of cereal? Cereals that I like? Could be. Wow. Okay, so we're going to do that. You're going to definitely try <laughs> Golden Grand for the first time here coming up soon. But let's uh, do the fight. I mean, it's 836. Let's get the fight going. We have Mikey joining us. Mikey, good morning, first of all. Second of all, what is your favorite cereal? Good morning. Um, I'm with Randy. I like the uh, chocolate frosted eggs, but only with marshmallows during Halloween. Ooh, that is so specific, and I love that. Now, when, is that a specific box that you buy, or do you add the marshmallows yourself? I know, it's a specific special for Halloween, I think. Okay, I need to get on that. I've never had that. That sounds amazing. And, Mikey, have you ever had Cinnamon Toast Crunch and or Golden Grams? Oh, yeah. Can you believe Randy had never had Cinnamon Toast Crunch? It's a little disappointing, so I'm hoping it distracts him from the answers. Exactly. Well, let's get going here. Good luck today on the fight. All right, question number one. Last night, the New York Rangers won the 2020 NHL Draft Lottery. When the Blues won it in 2006... Who did they take with that number one pick? Was it TJ Oshie, Eric Johnson, or Alex Petrangelo? Eric Johnson. Question number two for you, Mikey. When was the last year the Cardinals didn't place top three in the NL Central? Was it back in 2006, 2007, or 2008? 2008. Mikey, who led the major leagues in home runs in the 2010s? Nelson Cruz, Mike Trout, or Albert Pujols? In just 2010 or in all the 2010s? Yes, Wait. just the 2010s. Like 2010, 2011, 2012, the all the way up the, to 2019. The, okay, so the 2010s as a decade. Right. All right. So we had Nelson Cruz, um, Mike Trout, or Albert Pujols? I'm going to go Cruz. And question number four for you, Mikey. After being fired by the Blues, where did Mike Keenan get his next head coaching gig? Was he with the Florida Panthers, the Vancouver Canucks, or the Calgary Flames? 
think he went to Florida after. He was Calgary before. So I'm going to say Florida. All right. Checking score here. And Randy is coming back in. He's chatting with somebody. Oh, with Mike Ryder, of course. Uh, Randy, settle in here. Say good morning to Mikey. Hey, Mikey. How you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Thank you. All right, Randy. Question number one. Yes. Last night, the new... First of all, are you just... Are you distra- I've said first of all a lot in a second. I'm distracted because of the Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Have, have you still... Oh, yeah. I've, I've, it's been told to me that I'm going to crash now. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're distracted and we can't really talk because we were housing Cinnamon, Cinnamon Toast Crunch on the break. <laughs> anyway, um, Randy, last night, the New York Rangers won the 2020 NHL Draft Lottery. When the Blues won it in 2006, who did they take with that number one pick? Eric Johnson, defenseman, Minnesota. Question number two, when was the last year the Cardinals didn't place top three in the NL Central? Let's see. Last time. Um, well, they, well, no. Um, 2000. Let's think about this. When they didn't make the playoffs a couple of years ago. Both the Brewers and the Cubs did make the playoffs, and that would have been would it have been 2018. Did the Brewers and Cubs both make it? So it, it was definitely recently, um, but I don't remember. I'll, I'll go with uh, I'll go with Cubs one. Did the Brewers make the playoffs? I'll go with 2018. Randy, who led the major leagues in home runs in the 2010s as a decade? So this is 2010 through 2019. Correct. Through last year. Um, Okay. Trout came up in 2012. I don't think he would have been the guy, though. Um, Definitely wouldn't have been... I don't think it'd be a Cub. They weren't around long enough. Cards, Cubs, Reds, Brewers. I don't think Braun, Pirates, uh, Dodgers. I'll do the lifeline here. Nelson Cruz, Mike Trout, or Albert Pujols? I am going to go with Nelson Cruz. And your final question, Randy. After being fired by the Blues, where did Mike Keenan get his next head coaching gig? I think he wound up uh, coaching the Bruins next, the Boston Bruins. We've got a winner. We have a winner and new champion, Average Joe Listener. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Mikey, congratulations. You beat Randy today, three to two. Let's run through the wow. answers here. I think Randy was distracted by the cereal, by the <laughs> way. But So you're welcome, Mikey. In, Thank you. In 2006, the Blues took Eric Johnson with the number one pick in the NHL draft lottery. The last year the Cardinals didn't place top three in the NL Central was 2008. They were fourth out of six teams. They had a record of 86 and 76. Nelson Cruz led the major leagues in home runs in the 2010s with 346. And after being fired by the Blues, Mike Keenan's next Head coaching gig was with the Vancouver Canucks. Oh, yeah, that's right. Vancouver. Vancouver. Mikey, thank you so much for playing. We'll talk to you tomorrow. (laughs) Thank you.
Thank you, Mikey. Mikey with us on 101 ESPN. It's Carriker and Smallman. Great to have you with us. You know what, Randy? By the way, I asked Mikey what his favorite cereal was, Uh and shocker of a lifetime, upset really, he didn't say life. You would think that (laughs) he would say life, but but maybe it's just that he eats everything and life happened to be one of those things. No, he had a very specific Halloween uh, released cereal that he liked. I should have written it down. Called Chocula? I'll probably have Scott pull the audio here in a second so I can write it down because I definitely want to try it. But it was chocolate. It had some marshmallows in it. It sounded delicious. It does sound great. Coming up next on Character and Smallman, if you could have a cutout of a player at the ballpark, who would you want? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Before the Cardinals were shut down again, they were talking about having cutouts in the stands like most teams in Major League Baseball are going to have. And Scotty Manziara asks us a question. If we could have a cutout of a famous person or Cardinal player put in at Bush Stadium, who would we want? And Scott, you put on uh, the show plan here, the person that you would most like to see in a cutout at Bush Stadium, who would it be? Uh, Famous person would definitely be Will Ferrell. Your favorite actor? <laughs> yes. Okay. But it has a qualifier here, right? That's right. What's that? Um, the the qualifier for this would have to be... Uh, he's wearing a Cardinal cap? Yes. Because, you know, he's not a he's not a St. Louis guy. He's a think. Dodger fan. Yeah. So, so we don't want him there, then. No. But he's my favorite. He's wearing a Cardinal's hat. But you're not his favorite. He's, he's an actor. He's going for the Dodgers, man. We can't have that. So, Michelle, who are you going to have? <laughs> You know, I thought about this a lot because I think a lot of people are probably going to go famous St. Louis and maybe a member of the Cardinals organization. And I was thinking we need a cutout that is going to inspire. We need a cutout that is going to bring some good juju to this team. Uh Let's be real. More than ever, the Cardinals in a little devil magic, right? Right. They need some good, some good luck, some good fortune to come their way. So, Randy, if I can get a cutout, it is a big, giant cutout of a rally squirrel. Oh, that's a great call. Thank you. Have the rally squirrel sitting in the stands as a cutout. That's very creative. Thank you. Because, you know, at first I was thinking maybe, uh, you know, an angry Chris Carpenter or something like that. And then I thought, no, we need some good luck. We need some good juju. And what what better than a giant rally squirrel? That's a great idea. I was thinking going with somebody who I think is probably going to earn hero status here in St. Louis. Hasn't yet, but I think he's on his way. And he would be an intimidating force as a Cardinal fan. And that's The Rock with his arms crossed behind home plate. That is a great call. Great call on The Rock. Yeah. Very intimidating. We already love him here because he's rebooting the XFL. Well, we'll, we'll, Mm -hmm. we'll hold that love, but we certainly are ready for it. That's an awesome one. I was also thinking during our interview with Coach Drink that it would be a great play for him to get some some Mizzou FaceTime with a cutout behind home plate. Yep. Uh, text, or Lovey Smith. Lovey, it'd be great, too. From the 314, Andre the Giant. Uh, we also have uh, Rally Cat, in addition to Rally, Rally Squirrel. Rally Cat would be great, too, yeah. And Paul McCartney from the 636. <laughs> sure. Well, he played Bush Stadium before. Why not Paul? Yeah. What about a former Cardinal? Somebody who's not on the field, not on the team right now. And it doesn't have to be a player. It could be player, management, whatever. 
Well, my initial thought was an angry Chris Carpenter because if, yeah. you, if you're a Cardinals player, and even mm-hmm. if you look and it's a cutout and it's an angry Chris Carpenter, you're going to be afraid and you're going to want to play sharp. I mean, just ask Brendan Ryan, right? Uh-huh, right. But <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it would be kind of a fun troll to have a picture of Albert in a Cardinals uniform. That'd be fun. I was thinking Tony. Yeah, Tony's a good one. And I think Tony should be like right next to the dugout, right next to Schilt. I love that. That would be awesome. Is there any former players that the Cardinals hate from an opposing team that we could put in there that might spark their fire? Like a Johnny Cueto cutout to Johnny make Yachty Cueto, mad? Niger Morgan. Yeah. Back Brandon in, Phillips. From back in the day, Jeffrey Leonard. Yeah. Also, uh, Keith Hernandez. Yeah, there you go. It'd be fun. Michelle, did you see last night that the New York Rangers got the first pick in the NHL draft? Fix in? You th- would you think? Yes. You do? Oh, yeah. You had eight teams, and they all had a 12.5% chance of getting it. I would think that there were teams that were, and I'm happy for John Davidson and the Rangers, but anytime New York gets a first pick in the draft, you've got to think that the conspiracy theory is there, right? Because of the that big the market. fix is in. You would think so. But I love that people think the fix is in because I love that that's a controversy that that gets people talking about hockey. Right. And Alexis Lafreniere is going to be the number one pick. He is on his way to New York. So it's a good thing for them. And I'm glad that rather than the Penguins, rather than somebody in our division, three different teams in our division had a chance to get that top pick. I'm glad that it was the Rangers. By the way, L.A. has the second pick. That's fine. Ottawa's third. Detroit fourth. Uh, and Ottawa also has the fifth pick in the draft. So it'll be a great set up for the Rangers and a great pick a uh, great setup for Ottawa once the NHL has a draft. And by the way, the conspiracy theories too, we should probably talk about a little bit more, is about how the Rangers ball was heavier and uh-huh. how it went in first. There's people doing major deep dives on this, on how they think that this could have happened. I have no doubt, because the Rangers are close. Last year, they had the second pick in the draft, Capo Caco, and he's really good. Plus, they signed uh, one of the best goal scorers in all of hockey, and they've got a good, solid, young goaltender, I, uh, Panarin, along with Capo, Caco, and Lafreniere, that gives them a pretty powerful offense. So I'm thinking that uh, the Rangers, this was the time for them to get it. There were other years where you could have given the Rangers the number one overall pick, but now you got them in a situation where they can win a Stanley Cup. Which is good for like, hockey. Yeah, I get Gary it. Bettman wants that. Of course. Uh, what did you think about the ball, though? Did you think it looked a little heavy, the ping pong ball? I don't think there's any doubt that this was all set up to benefit the Rangers. Do you have any doubt? I don't know. I watched the video a few, a few times, and you could certainly make the argument, yes, that the ball did look a little suspect, the ping pong ball. Yep, I think it did. And that's, hey, having the Rangers and the Kings with the top two picks. Mm-hmm. That's good for the NHL because they'll have more interest in the top two markets in America. Absolutely. It does benefit them as a, as a whole. Another star to L.A. And that just takes a little bit more attention away from the L.A. Rams. <laughs> Poor guys. We're not mad about that, are we, Randy? Man, they've got a lot to deal with. They've yeah, got a lot working I, against them. I feel for them. How much do you think he's looking at in bills right now? Because we, we talked earlier in the show about the lawsuit and yep. um, how all of these teams in the NFL are lawyering up and Stan Kroenke has to foot the bill for that. You have all of these delays with the stadium, billions of Five bills billion dollars. coming his way. You have a season where you were supposed to open with these big concerts and your, your 
inaugural season for football, no fans in the stands. I'm sure that there is, you know, money that you're losing because of that. It's just a lot, I think, that he's probably having to deal with, Randy, from a financial standpoint. I feel for him. Plus the Nuggets and the Avalanche playing without, or not playing, and then coming back without fans and being in the bubble, too. That's right. So, yeah, it's really sad. It's a shame that it's happening to such a guy. Yeah, why do bad things always happen to good people, Randy? (laughs) I don't know. And if you didn't hear, we talked about it earlier here on 101 ESPN, the St. Louis lawsuit is moving forward. And yesterday, more than 40 people were given notices of depositions that they'll have to give between September and December of this year. And Roger Goodell... Eric Grubman, Stan Kroenke, Kevin Demoff, Jerry Jones, among those people that will be deposed by the lawyers in the St. Louis lawsuit. Do you think they were surprised when they got word that they were going to have to do this? No, they all knew. I know that they probably anticipated that it was coming, but you're the NFL, you're Jerry Jones. You probably thought at some point you would be able to make this go away. I would think so. So And that's why I thought they might be surprised. I'm really surprised, and maybe it'll get more play nationally, but I'm really surprised that Roger Goodell was given a notice to be deposed. He can't dispute this. He's got to be deposed. And nobody's talking about it nationally. That's a pretty big deal when Roger Goodell is going to have to testify. I'll text some people I know, Randy. I'll be like, you should keep an eye on this. Yeah. You should be talking about this. This is a big deal. It is. Because the NFL, could lo- the NFL and these owners could lose a lot of money. Yeah, they, and a lot of credibility. I think we, we talk about the money, which is huge. But from a St. Louis standpoint, and you and I want to see this as much as anybody, and the lawyers do too, they want to prove that St. Louis was done wrong, that they, we were a good football town that got screwed by a corrupt process. Yeah, that is something that burnt us really badly. Yep. It wasn't even, hey, you ripped this team out of town, uh, which was unfair because of the product you put on the field, the fact that you were dangling a relocation over the fans' heads this entire time, and it was something that you actively participated in for a long time. It wasn't just that. It's that as if all of that wasn't enough, on the way out, you had to take the thing that means the most to us, the thing that we as a community really pride ourselves on is being a loyal and strong sports city mm-hmm. and denigrate that part of us unnecessarily. That's when, you know, it's the straw that broke the camel's back. And I think a lot of people here said, okay, game on. Right. And it's not just us. There's a lot of people, leadership in our community that feels the same way. So I'm glad that they're doing it. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And coming up today's big thing is the Big Ten inching towards canceling their season. And even if they do, we know one conference is planning on playing. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's 9.02 in St. Louis. Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And we're going to talk some college football here for just a moment, Michelle, because our friend Derek uh, Dennis Dodd is going to join us at the bottom of the hour. And Dennis has a piece up at CBSSports.com pointing out the erroneous report that Big Ten presidents had voted to cancel their season. And they did take a straw poll of who wanted to play and who didn't. And only two schools said, yeah, we definitely want to play. Nebraska was one of those. Iowa reportedly was the other. According to Dennis, it's widely believed that the Big Ten and Pac-12 will cancel their seasons as early as today. Although some coaches, Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, James Franklin at Penn State, obviously 
uh, Iowa and uh, Kirk Ferentz at Iowa, Scott Frost at Nebraska, all four of those have said, no, we want to play. And if you're the Big Ten, that's a difficult spot for you to be in. You're obviously trying to make the right decision, and you want to make it as soon as possible because you have students who are doing workouts, student-athletes. You have school may may or may not being resumed. There's a lot of factors at, at play here. But if you've got Jim Harbaugh, Ryan Day, you've got several schools within your conference saying, hey, we want – to push forward with the season. And then you're kind of looking at other conferences, the ACC, the SEC, saying, hey, we think we're going to play. Do you want to be the first to say that we're not going to play? I mean, I know other conferences have said it, but kind of in relation to the ACC, Big Ten, SEC, you know, what are you going to do? We've always assumed that at a big-time school that the football coach was the most powerful man on campus. I believe that this is a situation where we will learn that. Yesterday, Paul Feinbaum noted that the president of Michigan is a doctor. If he doesn't want to play and Jim Harbaugh does want to play this fall, who's going to win that argument in Michigan? Who's got more juice on that campus, Harbaugh or the school president that we don't know the name of, by the way? I was just going to say... Um, maybe the president and theoretical rank, but you know that Jim Harbaugh's got more juice. Absolutely. Many years ago, it was in the 40s, a president at the University of Oklahoma was asking for more money from the state legislature and went and made his case to the state legislature. This is why we need more money for the university. And he spent 45 minutes. And one of the legislators said, Come on, why, why do you really need more money? And the president said, I want to build a university that our football team can be proud of. <laughs> so that tells you all you need to know. It's Touché. been that way forever. Touche. <laughs> uh, I saw a great tweet. I forget who sent it out. So sorry for the lack of, <laughs> of props to you, but it made me laugh. What do you think? Take it or leave it, Randy. It would be more disappointing for Michigan fans to have a football season than to not have a football season. I would, uh, I will take it unless Ohio State decides not to play. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> then they would like to play. With Ryan Day say, hey, saying, yeah. hey, I hope there's a mercy rule. We're going to hang yeah. 100 on you. Yeah. Watch out. So we're hearing again, Big Ten, Pac-12 might cancel their seasons as early as today. The SEC, you're concerned about that. With Mizzou, whose coach Eli Drinkwitz joined us this morning on Carriker and Smallman. Yeah, I can tell you on the record, not one of these anonymous sources that people want to put on Twitter and put all you know all these fake rumors out there and cause the media to get into a tizzy, and it's just not good for public health. Uh, I can tell you on the record, the SEC is steadfast in their plan. Uh, Commissioner Sankey has been uh, steadfast in his approach to this. Uh, he's not been flippant. He is his has been methodical. The athletic directors and presidents have all marched with uh, his message and our coaching staff, and we are planning on playing September 26th. Um, we backed up the season in order to allow us to have more time to see how this thing is going to go. There are several universities that have started school back already, and so we're anticipating there might be a little bump, and we want to be able to navigate that. But, uh, you know, that that's the plan right now, and, and I don't foresee that changing until there's more information out there. Um, and we're not really worried about what everybody else is thinking. 
You can't get much more clear than that. Nope. You heard it here first. On the record, not an anonymous <laughs> source, from Coach Drink himself, talking about Commissioner Sankey and the SEC being steadfast in their plan to play on September 26th. And we use that word again, that the SEC and Coach Drink steadfast about playing in late September. Hey, we're the leaders in college football for a reason, man. The SEC. Big boy football, Randy. Yeah, they're ready to rock and roll. And so they aren't even having a consideration. Whereas you have two conferences today that might decide, hey, we're not going to play. The SEC is going to go down the road with this. And, Michelle, the SEC, if the Big Ten isn't playing, the SEC is going to be college football in 2020. I don't care what the Big 12 does. I don't care what the ACC does outside of Clemson. The SEC will be college football. It basically is anyway. Right. It, for for a lot of people, basically is anyway. And yeah, you remove the Big Ten out of the equation there. You remove the Ohio States and the Michigans of the world. Definitely going to be dominating uh, your your football life. But if you're the SEC, though, and the Big Ten decides to pack it in, do you reconsider? I think the only way you reconsider is if between now and September 26th, you have issues on a campus or two. And to this point, at least at Missouri, Coach Drink says, we don't have people testing positive. Our players are being responsible. We've got tons of protocols in place. And as has been mentioned by several coaches and by Trevor Lawrence, and I tend to agree with this, if you put some thought into it, for an 18 to 22-year-old guy, being within the structure of a football environment probably is safer than being at home where you can go out and do whatever you want. Coach Shrink really uh, thoroughly outlined all the protocols that were in place within the Missouri football program to make sure that these players were safe. He was talking about the checklist that they have to do, the questionnaires about how you know they're wearing their masks or socially distancing, all of these things that they're doing. And I tend to believe as well that if these players know that the responsibility lies within them to make sure that they're not irresponsible and doing different things, and if, if they do... It could upend their entire program. That's something that I would hope that they don't take lightly. But I also think you look at Major League Baseball, different circumstances. Mm -hmm. But even after you've had outbreaks on two teams, you have guys leaving hotels and and kind of doing what they want to do. And it's you would think that those players would be more mature at the age of 26, 27 than the typical college football player who has access to a bar down the street and all his buddies are at the bar. Right. But you do need to, in addition to the protocols, you need to have, you probably have to have all the players in a dorm, right? You can't have those guys just in an athletic dorm. The smart play would be to have all the football players just together. In one space. Where you can kind of keep them from going out. And then you just have, what, hall monitors and RAs on every floor checking in, everybody checking them in and out? Yeah, that's that's what you need. How much of this, because I think all of it is, but I want to get your take on this. And I, I understand coaches want to play because coaches like to win and coaches want to get their money. But I think it all does come back to money. I think on the part of the Power Five, on the part of the SEC, why does the SEC primarily want to play? Because of money. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah, they're, they are not not only getting the TV money, but I'm sure that there will be some social distancing crowds in the stands at SEC games. But the big thing is to get that massive TV contract. And again, if the Big Ten and the Pac-12 aren't playing, 
if you are the SEC, you're going not only going to own the college football season, you're going to own the college football playoff. Without a doubt, you definitely will. And I think on the coaching level, it's about more than money. Like I have no doubt in my mind that the Lovey Smiths and the Eli Drinkwitz of, of the world genuinely care about their student mm-hmm. athletes. They care about their safety, their well-being, and they do know, hey, if you're within the confines of this program, I can make sure that you're okay. Um, but I think if you go a level above that, two levels above that, those administrators and decision makers aren't with these student athletes on a day-to-day basis. How many of them can they actually even name? Yep. You know, they're thinking about their school as a whole, about the program as a whole, about the legacy and the money and the things that you're generating to protect your job and all of these other jobs surrounding you. And they probably are looking at kind of a a black and white sheet, Randy, saying if we don't play, look at the ramifications that Mm -hmm. we're going to have from a financial standpoint and the tough decisions that I'm going to have to make. One other question for you, because you have a more unique perspective on this than I do or most people in St. Louis, because you worked up at ESPN. But especially if you don't have the Big Ten and the Pac-12, and the Pac-12 is a Fox property, if I'm not mistaken. But how important is it to have the SEC for ESPN? I think it's crucial to have college football, period, for ESPN. ESPN owns the college football playoff. Yeah. They, it's a huge property for them, big time. I mean, think about all of the programming that goes into the uh, the rankings and goes into the playoff and everything. That's a lot of revenue that they would be yeah. losing. And they own the SEC network, too. Absolutely. So there is a lot of that programming that... ESPN would need as well. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We do have you're killing me, Smalls, coming up. But first, 101 ESPN breaking news alert. Another team has decided not to play college football this fall. It's Massachusetts. UMass saying that they would like to play a spring schedule. They're an independent, 27th team now, to say they aren't going to play football this fall. And, Michelle, I would think it would be very difficult on a couple of fronts for UMass to play a spring schedule. Number one, as an independent, it's going to be hard to schedule enough spring games. And number two... Playing outdoor games, they don't have a dome stadium at UMass. Playing outdoor games between February and April, I think that's prohibitive with the weather there. Yeah, those Northeast winters, Randy, they don't play. (laughs) I don't think that that's the ideal climate, the ideal uh, weather patterns for you to be playing outdoor football. And in about 12 minutes, the Big Ten owners are scheduled to commence a meeting and decide whether or not they're going to play this fall. You're killing me, Small. Yeah, we'll be keeping an eye, by the way, on that conference call to find out if they're going to push back or postpone the season because that... That's going to be some big news. Big news. Big news. Anyway, Randy, so Mike Trout, we didn't even talk about this on the show, but recently he became a dad. He welcomed his son, Beckham Aaron Trout, recently. By the way, a lot of people pointing out that his son's initials are B-A-T, bat. Oh. I don't know if that was on purpose, but anyway. They have this thing, Randy, called dad strength. People talk about dad power all the time, and Mike Trout has certainly been on a tear since becoming a dad. And last night was just another notch in his belt as far as that's concerned. He homered twice, including a tie-breaking shot in the eighth inning. And the Angels rallied from an early five-run deficit last night, Randy, and they beat the A's 10-9. to He is, again, proving himself to be the best player in baseball. 
Five home runs in seven games as a father. Sweeney Murdy of WFAN tweets, I'm not even sure I was awake five times in the first seven days after <laughs> becoming a father. And these guys hit five home runs. Dad power. Yeah. So good for him and good for the family and good for baseball that he decided to play even though the child was on the way and now has been born. That's pretty awesome. I don't know if you remember, Randy, when we made our predictions and I said, I predict that Mike Trout is going to go on an absolute tear and be dominant this season and it's going to propel the Angels in the standings. Half of that has come true. The Angels, not so much. They're fifth in the ALS, not making my prediction come through, but Mike Trout, definitely on a tear. And they can still pick up some ground. I wonder, because you have such an interesting race there between Trout and Judge, I wonder who's going to win between those two in terms of the MVP. I would guess Trout because... The writers love his his war. And it's a great story with the dad thing. Yeah, it is. You're yeah. killing me, Smalls. Angels are not going to catch up. No. No. You know, the thing about Mike Trout, too, is I, I wake up in the morning and I read all this stuff about what he did. And I, I always think to myself, man, I wish I could see him play more. I know that now is kind of the time we could stay up mm-hmm. later and do it. But it just bums well. me out that every time you read about Mike Trout, it's within the pros of how amazing he is and it's something that we don't really grasp all the time. And think about this. At least from my perspective, when he came here to town, he was totally overshadowed. I don't even remember a Mike Trout at bat last year when they were in town. No, I don't either. I just remember him <laughs> high-fiving Albert yeah. and hugging Albert after Albert hit a home run. Right. That's what I remember too. Yeah, and I, I, you know what I do remember is him talking about what a great baseball environment it was yeah. here in St. Louis and how cool it was for him to see Albert come home. Yeah, it wasn't on-field oh, stuff. See what I said, come home? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't on-field. You're right, though. But I, I, I wonder, say he played for the Yankees. Do you think? He played for the Yankees. Thank you, Randy. Do you think that we would have had a different reaction to him when he came here in St. Louis? Or do you think no matter who it would have been, Mike Trout or Stanton or Judge or whomever, if they're playing with Albert that weekend, they're overshadowed? They are. Everybody. You know, everybody would have been is. But I think yeah. if Mike Trout played for an East Coast team, we'd be talking about him way more. Oh, yeah. Or the Cardinals. If he were playing for, or the Cubs, if he were playing for a high-profile team that's on Sunday Night Baseball all the time, we'd be talking about him a lot more, too. That's right. Well, keeping in the baseball world, Randy, uh, Marcus Stroman, Mets pitcher, he's opted out of the 2020 baseball season due to coronavirus concerns. He had been recovering from a calf injury and was in contention to make his debut next week versus Miami, but he decided, hey, I have too many concerns about the COVID hotspots, I don't want to go to Miami, and I'm opting out. He's brilliant. Might be the smartest baseball player. We always hear about the Dylan Carlson or the Chris Bryant or the Tatis uh, for service time manipulation. He waited until he had exactly six years of service and then opted out so he becomes a free agent after the season. Brilliant. Really smart. Yeah. Hey, if you have the opportunity, do it. And now he doesn't have any chance of getting hurt. He can work towards becoming healthy for next year. I'm really proud of what Marcus Stroman did. You know, hey, you do it to me, I can do it to you. This is the rules. Take advantage of the system, right? Right. And then to say, hey, I'm seeing outbreaks in Miami and St. Louis. Yeah. I don't I don't feel comfortable proceeding. Who's going to argue against that? Right, exactly. Nobody. It's, I wouldn't think. You're killing me, small. Okay, Randy, so I read this story about... Uh, an angler who made an amazing catch. This a, is a fisher person. Yes, a fisher person. He ha- he reeled in the fish of a lifetime. So the angler is called Chance Scott. It was a 53-pound, 15-ounce lake trout Ooh. in Utah. And... 
people were saying, so he he posts this picture of this massive, massive 53-pound fish. Everyone's commenting on it in Utah saying, great catch, great catch. And he decides to keep it and mount it. And people are very angry that he did not throw it back. 53 pounds? Yeah, what would you have done? People are like, hey, you should have released it. No, you don't release that. You You eat the meat and you get it mounted. Absolutely. But just out of curiosity... Uh, does Chance Scott happen to be a hip-hop artist? <laughs> no. No, we're not talking Chance the Rapper and Travis okay. Scott. They did not merge to become <laughs> one great angler. No. Okay. But it's amazing to, to... I'm reading about this on For the Win, and it's amazing to read the controversy surrounding it because so many people are saying, you should have thrown that back so that another angler could get a chance oh, at this on. guy. And they're saying, if you wanted to mount it, take the measurements and, and get something else done. I disagree vehemently. The only pause I would have wouldn't be about giving another angler the opportunity to catch the fish. It would be, how old is this fish? And what's this fish's family going to think when it doesn't come home with dinner tonight? That would be my disappointment in him getting it mounted. But no, you go out there and you go fishing to either feed yourself or to get a trophy. And hopefully he got both. I have no problem with him mounting a fish like that. People mount giant fish all the time. So there's no confirmed age. But in the comments, people are speculating it's probably over 30 years old. Wow. Well, that's sad. But you know what? If you're the fish, you don't like it as VT would say play better. You don't, you don't go for that lure. You're supposed to be a wise fish at this point, aren't you? So you find food that isn't attached to a hook. Imagine, though, if you're another fish in that lake and you, you see that the big boy got snapped mm-hmm. up, you're thinking, yikes. I'm staying down towards the bottom. 100%. <laughs> Anything shiny, not going near it. Because <laughs> no. you know that that fish was a legend down below. Oh, big time. He survived this long? Yeah. And he's huge. Yeah. It's got to be. 50. I mean, I can't imagine a bigger fish than that. He probably ate a lot of other fish, though. There's probably a little bit of relief oh my gosh. in that lake. Is this like Debo? When Debo gets locked up on yes. Friday, everyone's like, yes, yeah. get him out of Thank here. Thank you. The bully is gone. That's <laughs> exactly what it is. Thanks, Michelle. You got her, Andy. And uh, we appreciate you participating in uh, You're Killing Me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to go back to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and get the latest from Dennis Dodd of CBS sports about whether or not college football is going to be played in the Big Ten and the Pac-10 this year. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Right now, I mean literally right now, Big Ten presidents are convening a conference call and we're scheduled to have Dennis Dodd of CBSSports.com, but understandably, he has a job to do covering college football, and we're having trouble connecting with uh, Mr. Dodd, but hopefully we'll be able to connect with him. If not, we'll get him tomorrow to react to what happens today, because the expectation, according to Dennis, is that not only the Big Ten, but the Pac-12, Michelle, will cancel their college football seasons today. Do you think that there could be any chance, instead of canceling it, Randy, that they decide to push it back? I don't... I don't know, and... I think that it would just be really difficult. Logistically, it seems like it would be a really hard thing to do. It would, but with, you know, 
Jim Harbaugh, Ryan Day, you've got Scott Frost, yeah. you've got some some pretty vocal head coaches in the Big Ten saying that they want to play. I, I just don't know what sort of influence they have on this decision. Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line and our friend, a local product, Dennis Dodd of CBSSports.com is with us on 101 ESPN. Dennis, always great to have you with us and we know you're busy. We appreciate your time today. Yep. Yeah, thanks guys. It's, uh, it's unlike anything I've ever gone through. It's crazy. Well, let's start with this, because you've been covering the the Big Ten and the Pac-12 situation. As we just mentioned before you came on, the Big 12 or the Pac-10, the, the Big Ten presidents <laughs> convening a conference call right now. What is your best guess as to what comes out of that call? My best guess is that, that they and the Pac-12 uh, shut it down this season today. Now, what that means for next year, I don't know. But I do think, uh, just an educated guess, that they have, uh, they're going to shut it down. I mean, I, I think the players and coaches have kind of stolen the spotlight for a few hours or days. But frankly, I think we knew their opinion before they started this national campaign. Why wouldn't coaches and players want to play? But the discussion is way above, you know, their, their opinions end up playing it, it it will be because of the liability either way and, and dennis it's interesting because you have those schools that are really well thought out and obviously michigan and michigan state have doctors as presidents we had eli drinkwitz on the show earlier this morning here's what drink had to say about the sec yeah i can tell you on the record not one of these anonymous sources that people want to put on twitter and <laughs> Put all you know all these fake rumors out there and cause the media to get into a tizzy, and it's just not good for public health. Uh, I can tell you on the record, the SEC is steadfast in their plan. Uh, Commissioner Sankey has been uh, steadfast in his approach to this. Uh, he's not been flippant. He is his has been methodical. The athletic directors and presidents have all marched with uh, his message and our coaching staff, and we are planning on playing September twenty sixth. Um, we backed up the season in order to allow us to have more time to see how this thing is going to go. There are several universities that have started school back already, and so we're anticipating there might be a little bump, and we want to be able to navigate that. But, uh, you know, that that's the plan right now, and, and I don't foresee that changing until there's more information out there, um, and we're not really worried about what everybody else is thinking. So, Dennis Dodd, there's an SEC coach. What's your reaction? Oh, I don't doubt for a second their medical um, approach has been top-notch. I think all these conferences are. I think it comes down to a couple of things. It comes down to, to liability. How much are you willing to expose your university to yourself if there's a, one hospitalization, one, or, or God forbid a death among anybody who plays? Um, I had explained to me very succinctly yesterday by somebody who said, if you lose the season, that's 40 or $50 million or whatever, you know, whatever you want to sign to that. If you, if you, if you fight a wrongful, wrongful death lawsuit, that gets into serial, serious money and it becomes a university issue, not an athletic budget issue. You've got that. You've got the situation where I just talked to a, a medical, um, medical expert in that field at one of these universities, he told me, if you, if you play all your, you know, if you don't play, all you're doing is mitigating 10, 10 days of competition. And I started to think about that. And I said, you know, you're right. Cause they're going to be, uh, despite what Trevor Lawrence says, they're not going to be sent home. They're going to be on campus going to school. 
getting great attention and medical attention and at some point practicing this fall if they don't play. Um, and so they're, they're still going to be in the facility. They're still going to be working out. And if you don't play, you're just going to miss those 10 days of competition or 11 or whatever it is, conference to conference. So you balance those two things. It's going to be tough. But I, I just don't think the voices of the players and coaches add much to it. Dennis, the key word seems to be liability here that these conferences and programs mm-hmm. don't want to absorb. Has there, been any, has there been any consideration to some sort of waiver where these student athletes and or their families sign over saying, hey, we understand the risk involved and we don't put liability on you if something were to happen? Yeah, we, we've actually run that course. Ohio State, Boise, a lot of schools presented those waivers in June to players when they came in to uh, came in to do voluntary workouts, and last week the NCAA outlawed them, um, uh, really through the demands of players. Uh, this We Are United movement, one of their demands was get rid of the waivers because they're not fair. And look, you can you can sue anybody for anything. So I don't know what those waivers really did. You talk to legal experts, and they're not enforceable. You know, if if you get if you get taken care of with bad medical advice at a school or, or bad, you know, medical care at a school and you're a player, your parents are going to sue. It doesn't matter if you signed a waiver or not. You've got a heck of a chance of winning. So that particular piece is out the door right now. Dennis Dodd, National College Football Writer for CBSSports.com with us on 101 ESPN. And Dennis, I love your piece that's up right now at CBS Sports about Nebraska and Scott Frost saying, hey, we, we want to play either way, even if the Big Ten cancels. But it's not as easy as just finding a game, is it? No, it's they have TV partners that they've signed with uh, Nebraska's. You know, the Nebraska's rights, by the way, are owned by the Big Ten Network, ESPN, and Fox. I don't think they can do this. Uh, Saber rattling, and forget about that. How about how about if Nebraska, if the Big Ten this morning decides not to play football, and Nebraska goes on goes out on its own and does this, you're basically going against your conference. The medical, the medical opinion that has been forged by your conference, the presidents, and then whatever state and local health measures are in place in Nebraska and Lincoln. But I don't, I don't know how that would look. I mean, you basically have a bunch of mercenaries out there looking for games, which, is, which apparently they're doing right now. They're calling schools trying to get games. Dennis, one of the things that we've talked about is the we want to play hashtag, the movement within the players. It seems to be gaining momentum. And this is big time players. Mm-hmm. You've got Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence. And regardless of what happens this season with a with a with um, them playing or not, how do you think that the power dynamics have shifted amongst players moving forward? Oh, I think it changed with, with We Are United a couple of Sundays ago when the Pac-12 went out there and then they were joined by the Big Ten. Uh, Mountain West and American conferences, players, uh, people, you know, immediately criticize, well, how many players are really involved? Well, you know, more than before those statements came out, you know, the, the Pac-12 and Big Ten claim 1,400 players are involved in this. And, and it's really about, a, say, a place at the table and deciding what goes on um, in the future. Uh, health and safety protocols primarily. This, this whole movement, this one, not others, but this one coalesced around Black Lives Matter and, and health care and the coronavirus. And they especially have to give it credence because I think 45% of the sport is African-American, and they are in a, you know, inordinately impacted by this. So 
yeah, it's it's going to be. Is it going to lead to a players' union? I don't think it will anytime soon. But their their views were heard because in this NCA guidelines uh, that were put out again that I referenced last week, a couple of their demands were met. The waiver thing, um, and that any COVID-related medical expenses for players have to be paid for by the schools. Frankly, I was shocked that they weren't. You know what I mean? Um, so they Hey, Dennis, one more thing from me, and this is in regards to spring football. I I figure that the Pac-12 and the SEC could play in the spring. What's the real possibility of playing games in Columbus, Ohio, and in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and Iowa City in January, February, March? It'll, It'll be cold. You know what? It's cold in November in those cities. So I think that that consideration is about 27th on the list right now. Frankly, the weather at the game, you know, I think I think they'll somehow get through. They can play, you can play football in snow and uh, in cold. So I think they'll get through that. I think a bigger consideration is what to do with the, the TV rights because they signed, you know, these multi-billion-dollar deals based on playing on these particular Saturdays in the fall in these time windows. What's it going to look like when if this comes out, if this is the case, on any given Saturday, you're going against NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball, college basketball, PGA golf. Those literally could all be played on the same day. Where there are contracts that say we have to be on this station. You know, you could be watching uh, SEC football on ESPN, the Ocho at that point. You know? yeah. <laughs> because, because these contracts are written that way. Yeah, and... Yeah, there, there's just so much that goes into it from a TV standpoint. It, yeah. it, it's unimaginable. Dennis, great work as always. Thanks so much for the time. We know you've got a busy day ahead, and we appreciate you joining us this morning. Yep, thanks, guys. All right, we'll see you later. That is Dennis Dodd, CBSSports.com on 101 ESPN. What a mess. It really is. And I, I hope, like he said, you have to ultimately, you have to listen to the doctors. Mm-hmm. I hope ultimately that intelligence and caution prevails here. And I I appreciate what Coach Drink said to us, but at the same time, it's coaches versus doctors. When you're in the midst of a pandemic, who do you listen to? I I would say doctors. And I I understand the coach's approach to saying, hey, we know that we can keep them at least in relatively all the time in kind of a controlled environment. And so it might be a a more safe option, a safer option for them to be here. I get that thought process, too, because it's coming from a good place a lot of times. Yeah, no doubt about it. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, Dan McLaughlin has scoops coming up at 10 o'clock. And we're going to cross things over with Danny next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Scoops with Danny Mac is coming up at the top of the hour here on 101 ESPN. And Dan McLaughlin is here, the voice of the Cardinals, when they're playing on FS Midwest. How's it going, sir? I am doing well. How about you guys? Everything's going good. We had a fun show today. Good. Got to talk to Coach Drink. What do you have to say? Uh, They're going to play some football? uh, Yeah, starting September 26th. And I get to try this. Oh, yeah. That's a good stuff. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Good stuff. You can put the milk in or out. Doesn't matter. It was great with milk, and it was the best post-cereal milk I've ever had. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because you like get in there, and it just kind of... 
It gets made, soggy. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It just it just tastes great. And Dan, it made for great radio. A, a guy yeah, sure eating cereal on the radio. Yeah. Doesn't matter, man. It, who cares what they think? It's all about your stomach. <laughs> Can you believe he made it, he's made it to this point in his life and he's never had that's cinnamon shocking. toast crunch? Yeah, that's that's really bad on your part. I know. Here I am on the back nine, and I just found out about this stuff. I don't think you're on the back nine, Randy. I, I'm going uh, positivity here. Uh, <laughs> I think you're going to live a long time, buddy. Me and Bryson DeChambeau. You're going to live to 126. That's what you shoot in the golf course, and that's what you're going to live till. That's what I'm saying. All right, uh, I have to bring. Isn't that what he said? He's going to play. He's going to live to 126. I think he said 130 or 140. Oh, okay. Well, I just off a few years. Yeah, so, you know, no big deal. But uh, uh, Scott Manziara needs to tell you something that's stunning that happened last week. Yeah. So uh, Scott, what do you got? Uh, I'm trying to think about what the. So oh, he's oh, saying. Oh, I we're should... ta- are we talking about your golf game, Randy? Yeah. Oh my gosh, this guy, man. Did you guys play golf together? Yeah, we did. Randy shot an 84. Really? Career high. Andy had an eagle putt that nearly lipped out. Yeah, could have had an 83. Where'd you play at? At Whitmore on the north course. Good for you. Yeah. So Awesome. I didn't have my disaster hole. My bugaboo has always been the disaster hole on the golf course. We've played enough so that you've seen several of my disaster holes over the course of the years. I had a disaster hole at the Floridian in the spring. Sure. Everybody has them. But I didn't have one, and that's what saved my day. I I had a little mishap uh, the other day playing. I have not played a lot of golf this mm-hmm. summer. I've even though I've had plenty of time to do it, I just just haven't done a lot of it. And um, I was playing with my son, who's a, I'll say it. I think he's a very good golfer. My daughter's an excellent golfer. But I pulled a drive left. Um, I, I'll just say my nerves are a little frayed at this point, <laughs> and. Uh, and I just, uh, my patience is not quite where it normally is. And I just said, oh, I can't believe. And I flipped my driver. I didn't throw it. I really didn't throw it hard. Didn't do, I didn't slam it. I didn't scream. I didn't do anything. I just flipped it towards my bag. And it went and it hit my bag perfectly to where it broke in two. Whoa. I've done that before and people don't believe me yes. that that can happen. And it did. So I'm glad that, not that it happened to you. But there is somebody there. I was playing with Mike Kelly one time and did the exact same thing. Just a little flip. Wasn't yep. angry. And it broke in two. Yeah. And um, not that I'm proud of it, but my son, we did have a good laugh of it. I said, if this doesn't sum up 2020 mm-hmm. at this point in my life, <laughs> nothing will. And this is right after a cancellation of one of the games that I thought oh. I was going to be working. So we decided to go play. I said, let's just go play some golf. And so we went out and I was actually, I had hit every fairway. We're on like number eight or something like that. I said, whatever. And I flipped it towards the bag and it went boop, just right into. And I was like, whatever. Okay. I mean, Dan, I know you've been working out, but I didn't realize you had some oh, sneaky sheer strength. strength. Yeah, sheer yeah. strength of, to be able to do that. Yeah. <laughs> if I tried to break it in two, I couldn't break it in two. That's the way things are going. Although I, I'm going to be positive. I, I think, um, I don't like saying positive. Uh, I'm going to be upbeat because we don't like to say yeah, positive, right? right? So I'm going to be upbeat mm-hmm. and say that the Cardinals will play Saturday. That's what I think. Wow. I'm, I'm thinking next Monday. Well, here's why I, I would say, love Saturday. Well, here's why I say Saturday. Maybe they'll play Saturday because they move the game time to a night game. And here's my thinking on that. I could be completely wrong. But um, 
by that time, you would have a number of negative tests that would allow you to get maybe a workout or two in. You've moved the start back time to a night game, so you get another round of negative tests in on Saturday. So you play, maybe the game on Friday gets canceled, maybe, mm-hmm. and you you play a night game Saturday and a doubleheader Sunday, maybe? I like the idea. Just, I'm th- I like trying that to too. think outside the box. Maybe you could do that, which would allow you to do that. I, I don't know. Um it was. It, I just found it interesting. Why would you just change the start time of that game? And that's that just made me think. Well, that maybe that's what you're doing. You're trying to get more negative tests in by that time. It allows you to buy some time, literally, to get to a night game and then maybe play a doubleheader or something, or get another game in on Saturday that you weren't thinking that you'd be able to get in. I, I don't know. And that's not from anybody telling me anything. That was just me thinking outside the box. I've got an outside the box thought. Okay. You broadcast a 20 inning game against the Mets before, right? Yeah, I think so. How about a triple header? Sure. 21 innings. Sure, why not? That's outside the box, isn't it? You're, well, you're going to have a lot of games outside the box. <laughs> you're going to have a lot of games. I, I guess it'd be, what, 50? If you're going to get 60 in, which I think is not feasible, but if you were, what, you'd have 55 games in 45 days, which probably isn't feasible. So you're looking at maybe if you really push the envelope trying to get a 50-game season in, maybe something like that. I mean, you'd, I haven't really done a hard look at the schedule. I've done some looking at it. Um, it's just going to be tough to do, man. Yeah. It's just going to be very, very tough to do. I, I I wonder if Major League Baseball is going to give the Cardinals some type of concessions um, to allow them to go down to their satellite camp and uh, bring some kind of help up. Yeah. I, I just don't know how they're going to do it. It's just, you know, come Friday... The rest of Major League Baseball will play a third of their season, and the Cardinals will play five games, and that will be three weeks to the day that Jack Flaherty threw the first pitch of the the opening day of of the Cardinal season. So that's that's a tall order. I mean, I, I somebody asked me yesterday, said, "Well, what, what, you know, how are they going to do this?" And I said, "Well, let's let's just think of it in baseball terms." I said, "Would you expect any team?" to take the last three weeks of spring training off, have a couple of workouts, play five games, and then go into the opening day of the of the regular season and, and be ready to go. No. Put it in that perspective, and yeah. that's what they're being asked right. to do. And I said it's very, very tough to do, but, you know, they're they're plowing forward with Major League Baseball and, and credit to Derek Gould for getting the interview with Rob Manford to say, hey, we're, we're going to try to fit this in. You know, it's... It's going to be tough. There's no no doubt about it. They're going to have to get creative with their pitching and and try to figure out <clears throat> how to field a major league team. Dan, if there's a doubleheader, do you bring a change of clothes? Do you have no. two different outfits, or are you just going to wear the same thing all day? Well, it's an interesting point because it depends on what's going on with my stomach that day. Um, so normally, no, I just you know just let it rip. Uh, yeah, I hopefully... didn't know if it would make you feel fresh. Like, hey, I'm ready for game two. Let's get dressed. No. Let's get ready. No, I I don't do that. Um, now, it depends if I'm having some type of um, stomach issues, mm-hmm. but I'm, I haven't had that problem, so I, I haven't had to address those Good. previous issues in the past, so no. And these would be, I think people really got confused when they said, what was the term? They said, this will be a blank doubleheader. Um, what they call it? Tradi- a traditional doubleheader or whatever it was. What was the word, guys? Uh, yeah, Twinator? No, not twice. It was I can't remember how they said it, but essentially it would be you play the doubleheader, they they get the field ready and they you, you go back That's out. It's traditional. Not, you know, yeah. not day night doubleheader. Yeah. So they don't want the guys at the ballpark. They they want people 
in and out of the ballpark as quickly as possible and back home, back to the hotel rooms and separated, socially distanced as quickly as they can. So I think that we, it got confused where people were saying, oh, they're going to play these double headers. So that means you're going to play at noon and then you're going to stick around and play at seven. Nope. They play the game, chalk the fields, move on. That's how they're going to try it's to do it. Old school. I used to love that. I did too, man. And uh, they'll go quickly. And it, I yeah. think it's going to be, I mean, Mike Schilt, by the way, should be ready to, to do these because he, man, for people that don't know, the minor leagues are done with seven inning double headers. That's how they do it. So he's he's been through this before. Did Jack Buck ever tell you the story about the double header at Shea that the Cardinals played when the guy committed suicide? Well, Randy, we're ending, uh, ending this on a really uh, wow, positive yeah. note. No, not really. Oh, it it kind of ends on a on a sports note, kind of on a on a fun side. So, I don't know how you can equate the two and being fun. Yeah, now uh, I'm out, now I'm curious. Outside <laughs> the broadcast booth at Old Chase Stadium, behind the booth, you had that rail, and a guy during Game One of a Cardinals Mets doubleheader jumped to his death. The Police officers investigating said death questioned his girlfriend. And they said, after questioning her, uh, would you like a ride home? And she said, no, I'm going to stick around to watch Seaver pitch game two. Oh, my God. <laughs> Come on. You're being, Seriously. It wasn't Jack making a no, joke. No, it was serious. Come on. That the really cop, happened? The cops told him the story. No way. He said it was unbelievable. Seriously. Yeah, Seaver was pitching game two. <laughs> so she didn't want to miss it. No. <laughs> unbelievable. They but, weren't married. It was a boyfriend. Am I? You were at Shea multiple times. Yeah, yeah. Did you like Shea? Yeah, I did. I thought it was fun. I'm it, like one of the only people that really enjoyed Shea Stadium. I love the energy and the, yes. the volume of Shea. Now, there's in the bullpen didn't like it. No. <laughs> Their equivalent of uh, Ballpark Village, which was a bunch of uh, repair shops for cars. <laughs> right. I mean, literally, yeah. it was rough. Yeah. Really? And there was nothing around it. I mean, literally, oh, Shea man. Stadium is just in the middle of kind of, not nowhere, but I mean, it's just, when you go to Shea Stadium, across the street is repair. It's auto body shops. That's hey, that's what it is. Doing a post-game open line and being the last person out of that oh, stadium boy. is it's scary. Yeah. And there's not a lot there. No. And uh, but I loved it. Like the energy of um, when Carlos, um, uh, not Carlos Martinez, uh, Pedro Martinez, when he got signed to go mm-hmm. there, was phenomenal when he was pitching, and he was on, to use your term, the back nine of his yeah, career, totally, and still was electric. And the place literally would shake, like when the Redskins would play or mm-hmm. the Washington Football Team. At RSK, would, yeah. The place was literally shaking. It was cool. I mean, it was just a neat place to play or to see being, you know, games that meant something or the atmosphere. And it was fun. I, I enjoyed it. I I know people would say, well, it was a dump and it was what I, I like those old school places. Those playoff series fun. in 2000 oh, and 06, gosh. they were fantastic. Unbelievable. And just the atmosphere that those places provided, you just don't see all the time anymore. I don't think. We may never see him again no, like that. No, because they were so tall and they held so many people. Yes. And the, the, so many people made it so loud. Well, and, and we were talking about it on opening day when we were doing our show. We may see, after what's happened with COVID-19 and all the new facilities that are going up, how we congregate to go see games is going to be different. Yeah. It, it's Young people like to stand and they like to be on their phones. And, oh, there's Yachty. Okay, I'll go pay attention. All right, now Yachty hit his double. Okay, and now I'm going back to talking to people and having a couple beers and 
That's how mm-hmm. they take in the game. They don't sit and watch, and not everybody is doing their scorecard. And it's just a different different generation of people and how they watch the game. People are not sticking around to watch Seaver pitch anymore. I wouldn't think. <laughs> you, you, you do watch. By the way, Mike Trout in a 60-game season might wind up with 25 home runs. That's pretty awesome. I was watching uh, them. Was it last night or two nights ago? He's unbelievable. Dad's strength. Yeah. He's unbelievable, man. Yeah. Like, and, and no one knows about him, man. That's a shame. It we is. We talked about that earlier. Yeah. It's a real bummer. I mean, yeah. you, you hear the name Mike Trout, but do people really know how great this guy is? Yeah, in this he's, sport, he's he's incredible. Well, and we all said that Albert was the best we'll ever see, and Trout has a chance after ten years to be right there with Albert. Yes, offensively. Yes, if not better. Yep. What do you got coming up on Scoops? Preview of uh, hockey. So we'll talk a little bit about the Blues and Vancouver. That's the uh, Talk a little baseball, too, how this may work, and lead you into ribs and BK. Love it. What I do every day, man. Love it. Okay, it'll be fun. Okay, thanks, we'll guys. In. Thanks to our producer engineer today, Scott Manziara, doing a great job. Thanks, Randy. Michelle, thank you very much for the cereal. You, you have changed my life. <laughs> oh, I'm glad to hear it, Randy. I thought I had a, um, you know... A part of this too, you yeah, know. major part. Come on, yeah, you know. So, but thanks. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Enjoy like, that this like afternoon because I know you're going back for another s- bowl. Like Coach Drink, I'm going to eat it for dessert. <laughs> oh, good. Is yeah. that what he said? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did he really? <laughs> yeah, he's great. So he thinks they're going to play. Yeah, he says we're playing September 26th, and that will be inside the the conference. Yeah, all conference games. And they picked up Alabama and LSU. And he said, "What do you come to the SEC for?" Play football. Be challenged. So he does Okay, drink. He's not afeard. He's great. Dan Oof. coming up with scoops. And we thank you for tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show for all of us till tomorrow at seven. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN.